Lions will be jumbled. Here's Josh Anderson's trying to split the D. Scores! Anderson beats Campbell, and Montreal has struck first. Now Nylander to the line. Hall back to Riley. He shot. Traffic scores! Nylander's side of the net, and the game is tied. Drops for Thornton, checked on the play, and turned back by Armia with speed. Paul Byron gets there. Done. Scores! What a brilliant goal by Paul Byron, shorthanded. What a face-off win by Deneau, and that's going to do it. And the Montreal Canadiens have taken first blood and win game one. In terms of his condition, he's, uh, he's, he's conscious and communicating well. He's, tests that he's had so far have, have come back uh, clear. He's going to remain overnight in hospital uh, to undergo further tests. Well, Siggy, I mean, I think we got to cut right to the chase here. We've spent all week feeling hyped and getting pumped up about this Leafs playoff matchup with the Montreal Canadiens. First time in more than four decades it, it's happened, and we've trolled the Habs fan base and, and had a lot of fun with it. And then didn't take long last night for some serious, serious reality to kick in. Uh, John Tavares lying prone on the ice after a collision with Ben Sherratt and then Corey Perry blowing through and back into the neutral zone to join the back check, accidentally knees Tavares in the head as he is going down. And the rest, is, as we know, is, is history. Uh, John was kind of a wet noodle out there, and he was trying to get up and, and couldn't. He was shaken. There was a vacant look in his eyes. There were doctors from both teams who stepped out onto the ice. Players surrounded him. The thumbs up on his way off the ice as he was being stretchered was was a positive sign. He was taken to hospital. There's footage of him being loaded into an ambulance, and he was observed overnight, and sounds as though the tests have come back negative, which is a positive thing. But that was the moment last night, and it was still scoreless at the time, where the game took a, a serious backseat, and life jumped right into the forefront. Yeah, I, I had a, I had a hard time with that one. Um, I, I don't know if obviously watching that and, and seeing a, a player go down that hard uh, and the way he did, I don't know if it was, uh, I know Keith mentioned the fact that no one was there. The fact the building was empty, I think does make it a lot worse. I can't imagine for, the guys in the game last night. I don't think it was just the Leaf players either. I can come here and sit and say, well, if I'm on that bench and one of my teammates goes down, I'm going to have a hard time playing the rest of the night. I think a lot of guys did have a hard time playing. I, I would have. I, I don't think I've seen anything that bad. I've seen guys stretchered off the ice. Um, I have a, I have a couple of good friends that are, are really close with, with John. So I don't know if that made it, worse as well but that's tough to yeah I, I mean you know I was sick last night I, I had a hard time I, I almost you know if I wasn't coming on the radio this morning I would have turned the game off it was literally that bad for me so I don't know if it was that or the fact that I took a bad hit eight years ago kind of similar um, 
Yeah, I honestly, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I thought I'd be, I'd sleep on it. I didn't get any sleep last night. Probably slept an hour, and yeah, that's a tough one. It's a tough one, but you know, it's. It, it, I know we're gonna get into Felino fighting Perry after as well. And did Perry mean to do it? I, you know what, I, I don't think Perry meant to slam his head off his knee. I don't, and I know that game happens fast and, and Kevin Bieksa was right last night on the broadcast for a lot of that. And the game happens quick and Perry tries to jump over him and, and I'm all for that. But literally if it's anybody else, I, I don't think I say that. It, is there a little bit of, of him just trying to run a guy over that's falling down? Like I, I'm not going to say that he, he, he totally didn't try to hit John because we know Corey Perry and I'm like I said I'm not saying it was malicious and he went out of his way to knee him but did he do everything he could to make sure that wasn't his path and I I know that's unfair to say that and I don't know if I'm just emotional after watching that hit but I don't know I, I I'm not gonna say with 100% certainty he tried to get out of the way and he didn't want to make some kind of contact I don't think he wanted to knock him out I know they're good friends but I don't know. You know, I just, I watched it. I, I, I watched it the one time I, I, every time it came on after I couldn't even, I couldn't watch it again. Maybe I'll watch it later today or during the show again, but there's just something about Corey Perry and the plays he makes when he's in front of the net and he has a history. And I know when guys try, you know, I, what sticks out for me is uh, there was a steckle hit on Crosby in the outdoor game in Remember Pittsburgh, that. Heinz yeah. Field. I, I don't know what year it was. Was it 2000? Was it 2010? I, I, it was like the first outdoor game. It was like 2010 yeah, ele- or 2011. 11 or, ele- it, was after the, it was after your 09 Cup. Yeah, it was after the Cup. It was like the year or two after. And it's it's kind of one of those plays. Steckle doesn't mean to hit Crosby, but he knows what path he's on. And if Crosby comes into him, well, Steckle's holding his ground. And Perry's coming back. He sees Tavares going into Sherratt. I I don't I I I don't know yet. I'm I'm just I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and say he didn't mean to do it. He tried to get out of the way. Look at him jumping. Perry had nothing to do with that. I I can't go that far. I can't go that far. And like I said, I don't know if it's just I'm emotional and had a hard time tuning in the game last night and I didn't sleep, but I, I, I was sick and I'm still sick this morning. I, I think it's hard because when you end up seeing it a bunch of times, and I know you say you, you avoided it, it, it becomes really difficult when we see it from every angle in slow motion, that that's the challenge, right? Because when you slow it right down, it seems like Corey Perry has more time than he actually does. I'm not going to sit here, Ziggy, and take you on um, and and debate you having never played the game myself. I don't understand what it's like to actually experience the speed of the game in that moment. When I say I haven't played the game, obviously I mean at the at at, at high levels. I played it growing up, but but not at that speed and and not at those high levels. I have a hard time. I have a hard time believing that that was on purpose. Um, It felt like a flow play to me the couple of times I watched it back. It was just really unfortunate. 
And and to be quite honest with you, my attention was not 50-50 split, but it was it was split enough that when Tavares got hit, I had my eyes on the Blue Jays game. So I had my Blue Jays game on my laptop and I had the Leafs game on TV. So I actually didn't see it live because I had my eyeballs on on the laptop. And when I looked back at it, my my initial impression was, okay, did did somebody just did somebody just pull a cadre on Falk here? I didn't I didn't know, right? So I see the Sherratt hit and it's 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 a clean hit. It's it, it kind of crashing. They're they're in the flow of the game. They crash into each other's sides. T- uh, Tavares goes down, and sadly Perry didn't just clip him. He got more than that passing by. My initial reaction, and sometimes I stay with my gut on this, is that it it wasn't purposeful. Um, it was just a really horrible, off-putting, scary result and to see John in that state where he tries to get to his knees and 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 seems intent on pushing himself up and then he on his knees sort of falls backwards and you can tell he, he's he's just completely discombobulated it's mortifying and you know we got to we got to be careful when we come on the air this morning and talk about this cuz it's impossible to predict what this all means and where this all goes but I'd be lying to you if I if I said one of my first thoughts was that I wonder if he'll ever be the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you you don't. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, like, Ziggy. You don't know. I was I was in the arena for a preseason game in Ottawa in September of two thousand and eight when Steve Downey of the Philadelphia Flyers took a run at Dean McCammond, and Dean McCammond was flat on his face behind the net, and I swear to you, I thought he was dead. And that was only like three weeks. So it would have been September of 2007 because it was only three months after Chris Pronger had elbowed McCammon in the head in the Stanley Cup final. So it was in, in a span of about three, three and a half months, two violent hits to Dean McCammon's head. And, you know, John Tavares' star in this game, Dean McCammon was a third, fourth-line guy, I'm not comparing the quality of the two players, but Dean McCammon was never the same, was never the same. And so my fear for John is, is just that. And I would not at all be surprised if he doesn't return in the playoffs, number one. And number two, I think the first day that John Tavares feels well, feels normal, whatever that is, add another 30 days at least before he even considers game action. I think you got to treat this sort of thing with the utmost of precaution. This is so truly serious. Yeah, he's not coming back. He's done for the playoffs. Yeah, he's got to be. You're not, yeah, you're not going to see him back. If you want to have an idea, some of these shots guys are taken to the head and they come back, I'm still getting therapy for a concussion from 2013 weekly. I went in and I have a note. I my notes from my doctor's visits the day after. So I got taken to the hospital and I was there all night. And this is tough to talk about because I don't even think I've talked to my own mother about 99% of what I'm saying right now. So I've got stretchered off the ice 
I got hit. I was unconscious, similar to kind of like what John went through last night. I wanted to try to skate off, couldn't skate off. End up ambulance had to take me in a stretcher to the hospital. And I was there all night and then was released like early morning. But I went into the doctors, was it the next day or the day after? And I said I was totally fine and nothing was wrong with me. So that just gives you an idea of what you're going through when you take a hit like that and you think you can come back and play. Um, the issue is that usually a week later, two weeks later, you know, I, I tried going for a workout and my heart almost exploded in the gym. I was getting headaches later in the day, bad migraines from after 5, 6 p.m. on and then couldn't fall asleep for for months. And then once all of that kind of went away, tried going back on the ice in June for the following season and I couldn't skate 100 feet up the ice. So you don't know where you're kind of at. Um, every guy's different. Every case is different. I hear guys that go through the same thing. Some guys are fine a year later and like nothing happened. They have a little bit of memory loss. Some guys don't have anything. I run into guys that played the game hard and fought every night. And you ask them and they say, oh, no, I have no no issues, nothing. But this case, this case with, you know, what happened to Tavares last night, I, I don't think he should come back the rest of the playoffs even if you're feeling well, a lot of guys, I say bad hit like that. And a lot of the specialists I talk to, they say, take a year off. Like don't do anything for a year. Like that's pretty crazy to hear from where we came from, where there are years in the NHL not long before I had to retire in 2013, where I would take a bad hit, where I'd be out on the ice, make my way back to the bench. And it was like, we need you to get, get back out there. Yeah, here, here, here's some smelling salts. Take a yeah, sniff and, and I'm get not going to mention names or where I was. I'm not going to do that on the radio. But I've had that happen because that was the norm. So it's not going to happen. This situation, Tavares is not coming back in the playoffs. If he does, does I, 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 I mean, I, I, I know lots of people at the organization. I want to say tell them how to do their jobs. But from a, a former player who had a hit similar to that, I would not suggest suggest that Tavares comes back in the playoffs. That's like a playoff ending, season ending. Let's see where I am in the off season. So yeah, I yeah, it's it's tough. I it's it's tough talking about. I, I don't talk about my situation a lot, but when I watch stuff like that, I it probably triggers me. So um you know I got a lot of thoughts on it. I don't really want to do it this morning, but I'm happy that John he put his hand up. He was all right. Uh, you know, they got to finish the game last night as hard as that was. And it's hard on the Canadians players as well. You're on the other side. You saw them kind of get up and Corey Perry feels bad. And I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think it was malicious. I don't think there was intent to hurt a player. But at the same time, I'm not going to say that he did everything to get out of the way. And I'm going to leave it there. And I know that's kind of sitting on the fence on it. And no, it's not sitting. We got it. We, we, we got to give our, you know, we got to give our opinion one way or the other, but I, I, I can't do that. I'm not saying he, it was, there was intent there, but there are certain players in the NHL right now that I know of. And there's a handful of guys that are some of the best at running into guys when they're not ready for it. And they, it, 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 they make it look good. And that's, uh, I'll leave that at there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think that's sitting on the fence at all. I think that that's, I mean, if you, if you, if you feel it wasn't 
malicious, but at the same time, he didn't do all he could. That's 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 not hedging. That's, game's fast though. Game, like the game, yeah. I understand it's fast and it's in slow motion. And it looks like Perry's like, okay, you know what? You know, I he tried to get away. Look at him. He jumped. He's trying to skate back in his own end. I get it. It's a fast game. I've been out there. I've ran into guys the same way. It's just when it's certain players that I know that can do that are very good at running interference on a guy unsuspecting. That's why I'm not going to say he's I, I'm clearing Corey Perry in the situation. And I don't know what you thought of the fight. If well, we'll get into that. that right we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But here's here's Corey Perry when asked about exactly what happened with John Tavares. For whatever it's worth, this is what Corey Perry had to say. He got hit, and I was coming out of the zone. He, he fell. I tried to jump over him, and unfortunately, he, I caught my knee on his head. I mean, I don't know what, what else to do there. I tried to jump, and it was unfortunate. And I know Johnny pretty well, and uh, you know, uh, just hope he's okay. And we'll play some Sheldon Keefe audio a little bit later on in the program as well, talking about how he's been through a lot as a player and as a coach, and that was the worst he's ever seen in the middle of a game. So, I, yeah, I, the guys had to get back at it and, and play, and, and the first thing that we saw in the aftermath, and this is the subject of the Twitter troll poll question at Scotty Mac thinks at Mike Zigamanis at Hugh W. Burl at Fan590, did a Maple Leaf, and it turned out to be Nick Felino. did a Maple Leaf need to engage Corey Perry in a fight after the Tavares injury? And and as we know, Ziggy, that's what happened. Uh, Nick Felino dropping him with Corey Perry. Let's listen to Nick Felino and his explanation on why he felt the need to fight Perry right away before we comment on it. Our captain's laying on the ice. Uh, it's nothing more than that. I think Perry obliged. And it's unfortunate. I don't think it's malicious, but my captain's laying on the ice. Our captain. I mean, that's that's you don't want to see that. And and I think it just addresses the situation. Everyone moves on. So Felino says it addresses the situation. I I thought it was performative. I still, I think, like you, Ziggy, like most people watching, was still thinking of Tavares. And I'm not sure what a fight like that accomplishes other than it runs the risk of even more brain damage being doled out. Yeah. I, I'm with fighting in the game, it's slowly being taken out. We know what happens to a lot of guys. We know it doesn't end well, whether you know, the brain damage and yeah, you're having one bad hit and then all of a sudden you're gonna have a fight, and you're gonna have at least one or two more. And it is coming out of the game, but I understand in certain situations why fights happen. I've been out there, and this is from a guy that has had a concussion and has had brain damage, is that, and I understand where Felino is coming, because if that doesn't happen, if that was even thought of on the bench by the majority of the guys where there was intent out there, and they don't fight, then you have the Leafs running around all the game, and then somebody could get hurt even worse than what happens in the fight. And that's, that's one part of it. The other part of it is, yeah, your captain's on the ice. This guy just hurt him. Whether it was, there was intent, or, like anything outside of taking a slap shot and it hitting a guy by accident, you're there's going to, there's going to be a fight and it's not a code. 
And I can't even believe I'm saying because I'm with you. I don't believe in the fights after the bad hits because now it's just more damage after the damage. But I really think it takes there's less chance of something happening after because you're going to have guys running after Perry. We, you don't know what's going to happen. There could be an even worse play than the one that started the whole, you know, the, okay, the bad hit, but let the me original st- play. Let me stop you there because this is where your perspective as a former player really comes in. The fight apparently diffuses that. So what's yeah, the rationale? I don't know. I don't what's know. the rationale? I don't, I don't even know. I don't know. It just settles everything down. Like once that fight happened, like I didn't even want to watch the game. It's just like, it's a bad hit. I know people that know John. I'm watching that. Something like that's happened to me. I've seen guys get stretched off the ice. Like there's a lot going on. It's, I think both teams didn't want to play after that. And then it's almost like, it's almost like Felino made Perry into like, okay, I meant to hit him. I'm going to fight you now because you shouldn't have done that. And now we can play hockey again. I know how ridiculous that all sounds. Like it's listening to myself say that is so ridiculous, but there's some truth to that. And like I said, I don't want to see, like, I, I don't think there needs to be the fighting that we had in our game that when I played and it is slowly coming out, but it did almost like, do you think full, you think any of those punches fully know through or real punches? And I know you're going to say, well, it's a huge charade and, and it's just theater and, and it's the code, but like it had to happen. Felino was barely throwing punches. Perry was just like, try not to get his head knocked in. He knew it was going to happen. And for Perry, it's like that was going to happen there or they were going to chase him around the rest of the game or the rest of the series. And then it's not even a hockey game. So it's honestly that I, I don't know what part of the game is harder to explain than something that happened with that fight last night. Like I, I've been trying to think all morning on, on, you know, how, how to let the fans and listeners know why stuff like that happens. But, and I'm not, I, I don't want fighting. And I know a lot, how many kids, how many kids are watching that last night and they're saying, well, the guy didn't mean to do it. And then he, and then all of a sudden, a guy's fighting him and he's trying to punch him in the head. So like, what do you, if you're a kid watching that last night and you're like, if I run into a opponent on my team and I'm 12 years old, then what am I going to have to fight after that? When I'm older, I don't want to play this game. Like you don't think that crosses fans and kids heads that are watching that last night. Like the league doesn't want the Felino Perry hit. I, I, I know they want fighting in the game still. And the whole Washington Ranger thing that happened and people loved watching that the five fights and the, line brawl to start the game but i'm telling you the 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 interest from kids growing up watching the game and people i know that work with the stats and the engagement of youth in canada the game is way down it's way down the last number of years and it's it there's a number of factors uh inequality affordability cost cost, yeah but the big, uh, I'm telling you right now, a big one are the, I, I know kids in their 10, 11, 12, because of concussions, they bang their head once. They they don't just try to come back because they love the game. They go and play another sport. They quit the sport altogether. Good young players. So when you're watching that, then you see the fight and you're like, well, I, I'm going to have to fight if I run into a player after. So you have that to think about. I just, the fight's going to happen and it's settled everything. And I know it's awful to say that, but it's, 
It's only what I know from my experience playing. And maybe in 15 years ago, when they sit down and talk about this, this won't even be a discussion because they're not going to have anything like that. It's, you know, um, I just, I, I, I don't like it, but it make it, it allows them to finish the game. Perry has to answer for it, even though I'm not saying he's totally at fault for injuring Tavares, but things like that make the game allow the players to finish it. Like, I, I think it settled in a little. I don't know what you think about that. I think it settled in a little bit after that. Well, yeah, and it was tough for both teams, clearly, um, in the in the aftermath to get it back going. And we did have a hockey game, and the Leafs did lose 2-1. to one. We will open up the phone lines a little bit later on in the program. We are going to have a doctor join us. So, I mean, he didn't treat John Tavares last night. You know that. But Dr. Michael Clarfield is a former Maple Leafs team doctor. He's done some work with the Argonauts. He works at the Cleveland Clinic here in town. Uh, we'll just ask him what he's looking for in a moment like that. Take us through the process of making sure that a player is okay, transporting him safely to the hospital, and, and what you go through if you're John Tavares after a moment like last night in the immediate hours afterward. Rick Vive will be along. Elliot Friedman, Jim Ralph, uh, people who were in the arena last night or on Hockey Night in Canada. The Leafs fall to the Habs 2-1. to one. We're all over this story. Gord Stelic next. This... Dr. Michael Clairfield will join us in about 45 minutes' time, and we'll talk to the former Toronto Maple Leafs team doctor about the situation last night. And obviously, Dr. Clairfield was not involved, uh, but has seen some things uh, during his time working for the Leafs, working for the Argonauts. He's now a sports physician with the uh, Cleveland Clinic Canada here in Toronto. Uh, Rick Vive, Elliot Friedman, Jim Ralph all ahead. Uh, Gord Stelic is with us now, the... Uh, co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, the Leafs lose game one, two to one to the Canadians, but the John Tavares situation is uh, all we're talking about this morning, at least to this point. Uh, Gord, I mean, I, I don't know what you can add to this. It was mortifying. It was horrifying. Your thoughts go out to John, to John's family. And as I said to Ziggy, and I feel like Ziggy agreed. If the the morning that John Tavares wakes up and feels 100% normal, add another 30 to 60 to 90. I mean, I don't know, 30 to 60 to 90 days before you even consider returning. I, that that looked that looked about as bad as it could be. Uh, yeah, and uh, I know you guys have been talking about it, and, and um, I mean, there was a game afterwards, of course. But you know, who would have expected, uh, unfortunately, this? Um, I'm, I'm, it's, um, you know, Ziggy played, you've watched a lot of games, Scott. I I've never actually seen one this initially upsetting. I've only seen three guys being taken off in a stretcher, uh, in like see the last decade. One was Eric Halla was a visiting player, had an obvious leg injury. There was Jake Muzzin. And there was a lot of concern about that last, you know, you know, last season, but you know, Tavares was a whole different case, especially when you saw the replay and just the way he went down and, and, uh, you know, it just was, uh, 
Uh, I mean, it was like the equivalent of, uh, of being hit by a train or something like that, almost in, in a hockey sense. And that, for, you know, you're you're almost thinking, oh my god, oh my god, and are, you're, they're going to probably cancel the game. I mean, you know, these kind of things. I mean, but then uh, the most encouraging thing was him giving the thumbs up, and then post game, you know, hearing from Sheldon Keith. So I don't know exactly, you know, down the road what it will be like. You say whether you add 30 days, what have you. You have to think he has a concussion. You have to wonder about uh, neck injuries and that. But just, you know, thank God that was the whole best news in any post-game breakdown last night was that's about as good as you could have expected given that, that horrifying, horrifying feeling we all felt that first minute after. Yeah, and what did you think about the fight after me and Scotty been talking about Felino actually fighting Perry that first shift? And I, I said, I, I think fighting has to come out of the game, and it has been, but at the same time, it's not a code, but it almost settles the game down where you don't have players on the Leafs. You don't have Simmons and Felino chasing Perry around for the next game or into game two and game three. They drop the gloves. It's not even a real fight, and it just settles things down. Where, where were you with the Felino dropping the gloves with Perry? Yeah, Ziggy, I was okay with it, especially after Felino's comments after the game. Initially, I, you know, a lot of people upset in that, you know, Corey Perry didn't do it on purpose, and you're making it, you're making the perception that this guy, you know, tried this kind of reprehensible hit. But when Felino described it, it's kind of like, you know, when Edler took out Zach Hyman, there was re- there was that element of whatever retribution is in 2021. You know, they've done it before about don't, don't start running our goaltender. You know, just this was something that had been lacking from the Toronto Maple Leaf team of, you know, the last few years and was something they wanted to add to it. So, um, you know, I could have done without it, but I was okay with it and seemed like, you know, even kind of Shea Weber kind of said, okay, and, you know, whatever went on. And then to your point, you moved on and, and, and there was, you know, uh, Wayne Simmons gave that very, very uh, raw and poignant chat in the first intermission about a team that really needed to regroup, that really had to get their had to get their sense of emotions back. And I thought they did a good job doing that. And yeah, that that probably was all part of the process. And and, and the best news though was, like I said, the news after the game that whatever this injury may be, it, it doesn't appear to be as catastrophic as pretty well all of us feared it might have been the first couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, there are reports that the tests were negative, but I think that that's for any broken bones or, or serious. I mean, it was just, it was awful, awful to look at, uh, Gord. So in terms of in terms of bouncing back tomorrow night, there's obviously a, a roster spot that needs to be filled. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk uh, didn't draw into the lineup for game one. He's been a very nice contributor for the Leafs of the second half of the regular season. Adam Brooks is on the sideline do you do you go to him for a little more depth at center and 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 bump everybody up there i i think that there are other changes that you could consider making outside of the result of of the Tavares injury but let's start with how you fill Tavares's spot well you wonder as well and it's funny the three of us yesterday hockey wise talked about this was a big strength for the Maple Leafs having that one-two punch with the Matthews line followed by the uh, Tavares line or whichever order you want to put it. I don't know if you think about moving Felino to center. I don't, you know, there's, he's got some versatility that way. Uh, to me, I would think Elchenyuk would be uh, the next guy up. I'm always intrigued by Nick Robertson. I know Montreal, you know, they didn't put Cole Caulfield in. We talk about you need goals, and he was a guy that was giving it to him but didn't have, doesn't have a ton of experience. I mean, Robertson is like that guy. With the Leafs, you know, end of the day, you're not going to win games. You only score one goal. You're just not. And there's a lot of reasons we can talk about, you know, why that 
happened. This was not a debacle like the first game against Columbus last year in the bubble. I mean, I feel okay from a Leafs standpoint, uh, the way this game went, being down one nothing. But uh, I, I would I would think, to me, Gelchenyuk would be the next guy up. And then, you know, uh, yeah, you know, guys coming in in the lineup, that's that's something uh, a coach kind of has to have that feel about what may, may be a bit of a difference maker. Boy, you look in Florida, Keith Yandel. You're not playing for the Florida Panthers last night. You know, different different things as as you go. So anyway, that that would be my um, my first thought. It would be Galchenyuk would get in. Yeah, I like the Galchenyuk call, Gord. That that's first for me. I, I was I kind of wanted him in the lineup to start the playoffs, but we all know like who do you take out? I know Mikheyev was really quiet last night. Kerfoot was quiet, and I understand the circumstances. And a lot of guys would have trouble rebounding from what they saw. But Galchenyuk is definitely the best play. What are your thoughts in in net at both ends? I know Campbell was the big talk, um, you know, leading up to the start of the playoffs, and we weren't certain on what Carey Price was going to bring. But what Carey Price did last night is what we were all afraid of. I just wanted to know what you thought of of both goaltenders. Yeah, I want I want to see the Carey Price who played that two periods for Laval a couple of days ago. That was kind of ordinary. Jeez, this was. You know, a sign of, of what he could do. This was vintage Carey Price. Jack Campbell, uh, that kind of goaltending I'll take all the time. I mean, I'm, you know, it's unfortunate the shorthanded goal. There was an element. He was a little bit late on the poke check that way, but he also made some big saves. So uh, goaltending was a factor. I don't know if it was totally the factor. I mean, Austin Matthews had eight shots on goal. He hit a, a crossbar, a post, you know, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, uh, Carey Price was phenomenal. And, and Jack Campbell, certainly there's no goaltending issue for the Maple Leafs before heading into game number two. With Gord Stelic on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. How would you assess the play? It's interesting. We were talking about this yesterday morning in the aftermath of the Oilers-Jets game one. Like, how would we react if the big names got shut down? Now, Willie scored, but... Austin and Mitch didn't factor in in the very same way that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl did not for Edmonton on Wednesday night. How would you assess the play of Matthews and Marner in general? Oh, I thought I thought it was fine. I, I really liked it. I liked the fact that Sheldon Keith learns uh, uses them a lot. I think what happened, Scott, was uh, at the end of the game. I know Felino mentioned it. Mitch Marner mentioned it. First of all, you get three delay of game penalties, right? And then Jason Spezza, you get penalties 200 feet away from the puck. And I'm big on Jason Spezza. So you really lost any kind of flow. The flow was taken out of the game. And it wasn't the kind of thing that, you know, quite often you're taking a penalty because you're a scoring chance. They got you hemmed in your own end and all that. And you got to take a, a trip or a hook to prevent a goal. No, in this case, like everything was going fine. You know, the flow was coming. I thought the Leafs were getting the edge of the game once they tied it up 1-1. And then son of a whatever, you're in the penalty box. And, you know, I, I think that was, uh, I think that really worked against the Maple Leafs who were trying to get that kind of flow and assert themselves. Then bang, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're killing a penalty again. So I think, you know, if there is more flow in that in the game, that would be, uh, that would be a ma- advantage for the Maple Leafs. Uh, I guess uh, Stevie Fell in the stats with said no other team has had three delay of game penalties uh, in a single game this season. So um, that's the kind of first you really don't want to have. Well, and these, like, like this is nitpicky and I acknowledge it. But there were a couple of times where Mitch had the the puck on his stick in the offensive zone, either coming in off the rush or in tight gourd. You don't have that extra half second that you may have in the middle of February on a Wednesday night, right? I, I there there were there was a two on one. 
I think it was Josh Anderson. I'd have to go back and look. There was a two-on-one, yeah. and and he he was committed to that back check, and and Mitch couldn't get a shot off, right? And and are you back checking that hard on a Tuesday night in the middle of December when you're playing the 32nd of 82 games? Uh, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But in game one of the playoffs, you are. So it's just it's those little half seconds that 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 can mean so much. Yeah, and you know the the other part is okay. If Leafs are going to have an advantage, one is speed kills, and that's in the Leafs' favor. Instead, we saw in that case, and in the Anderson goal, and in the other Byron goal, like holy macro, speed worked in the Montreal Canadiens' favor. And 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 you're right. I, hey, Josh Anderson, what a force he's been. I mean, what a, what a great move. Uh, Bergerman made in the offseason getting him. But I, I think the other part, and it was dissected on TV that way, was, you know, Mitch has become such a pass-first guy in people's perception that really Montreal was able to play it that way. And looking for Kerfoot on the other side, you know, Kerfoot almost should have yelled at him, shoot it. The two-on-one really wasn't there. And by the time he was thinking of shooting it, uh, there was Josh Anderson. And, yeah, and, and those, are the, those are the little things because that should have been a glorious scoring opportunity late in the game. Mitch wired one that came close. And I think it's hard to complain anything about Mitch Marner, but from time to time people say be a little bit less selfish and get a few more shots on goal. I know a lot of people, as the day picks up, are going to start focusing on Rasmus Sandin's game. Played 15 minutes, was on the power play four and a half minutes, ended up getting taken off that first unit for Riley. Was on for both goals against, um, you know, kind of lost that foot race to Byron on the on the shorthanded goal. Um, what do you think about him? And do you think there's any kind of possibility that that Dermot slots back in for him? Yeah, I mean, the shorthanded goal really. There was a good play made on Matthews in that, and Montreal really had a pretty good pretty good momentum going. Uh, going that way back, you know, and of course you only are using one D on the power play, which is always a a bit of a chance that way. Like, again, I I have no problem if they put Dermot back, Uh, you know, I I thought, I thought Sandine, I'm fine with the way he played. You know, they're, they're the, they're the sixth defenseman. Uh, They'll get the least time. Your, your studs in the playoffs get about 25 minutes and, and your six get about 10 minutes. But I don't, I don't think any, I I don't think either of them are a, a liability. So I'd be, I would be fine if Sandine went, uh, again, and if you want to put Dermot in, you know, find that way. And I know Sheldon Keefe knows how to use them, and there's, you know, a way in, a way you spot them more in the playoffs just until they get, in your mind, comfortable. Gord, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Obviously, the Leafs need to bounce back uh, tomorrow night, and there's no rest for the weary because games two to four are going to be played in a span of, of, what, four nights here, three games in four nights. So big big game tomorrow night they're going to have to figure out Carey Price they're going to have to fill the John Tavares slot and not just for one game going forward here uh we appreciate your insight uh we'll be listening tomorrow night have a good weekend and you know we'll be calling on you Monday morning sounds good you guys too let's uh, let's enjoy the hockey you bet Gord Stellick the co-host with Nick Elberga of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590 the fan Sheldon Keefe comments on the Perry Tavares play next <laughs>
Taking your text to uh, 59590. We'll open up the phone lines at the top of the hour. Get Hugh in on the panel. Uh, Hugh is wearing his Habs jersey and his Habs hat right now. Just threw it on, actually, in the what last a loser! commercial oh, break. So this, this old thing? Not at all annoying. <laughs> Not at all you yeah. know, Look, all, I, I all, Montre- all Montreal fans are annoying. I, I, I don't know how many more times I'm going to get a chance to wear this out. Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the whole advantage. setup, the yeah. whole setup all week was the great wall, the great wall, the great defense mechanism. Well, this, oh that, and the other thing. God, he was. And now I don't me. know. I don't know how many more times I'm going to get to wear it. I'm still going to talk like the Leafs win in five or six. I see how it is. I see how it is. You're not allowed to brag if they win this series. I'm telling you, you take a week <laughs> off if they win this series. Uh, here is Sheldon Keefe after the game last night on not just the John Tavares injury, but trying to get the team to regroup on the bench in the immediate aftermath. I've experienced a lot of different things, a lot of uh, tough injuries and stuff like that in, in, in my time as a player and as a coach. But in an empty building like that, that was probably the most uncomfortable situation that I've been a part of on the ice. So... It was uh, really tough to get through. Our players were, were rattled and concerned. I was obviously very concerned as well. It was a very tough moment. Um, we had ample time to, to settle and regroup. I thought it took us quite a bit of time to really kind of find ourselves after that. There's a lot of ways this could go, Ziggy, right? I mean, and, and, and whether Tavares is healthy or not, you, you can win the series, you can lose the series, you can play well and win, you can play well and lose you can not play so well and win if you get great goaltending etc cetera, etc cetera. but in, in terms of moving ahead here for the Leafs they're going to have a couple of nights to sleep on this and then they're going to have to play game two tomorrow night at home in a game that they you know you don't want to go to Montreal on Monday night down two games to none are there conversations that need to be had or do you just you head to the rink today you have a skate you prepare for the game tomorrow and it's next man up I mean, how do, well, I, I don't know how you yeah. go through this. And t- yeah, different teams would do it differently. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll start off first. It's, yeah, I don't think the Leafs regrouped until they went in for the intermission last night. They came back out for the second. Things were a, a little bit better for them. But, yeah, I yeah, that first period was, was a write-off for me. Um, yeah, where do you go from here? Like, who fills in now? I, like, you don't, you don't fill Tavares' spot. That's I think that's what you get out of this whole thing. Um, You're a less talented team. Yeah, that's, it's just you. You the thing about it is now you have you're going to have an opportunity for a guy like like a guy like Kerfoot is is going to be relied upon in a situation like this. So you're going to have a guy in the lineup that didn't do much in that f- game one. OK, now you're going to get three or four minutes. You're going to get some of John's time. What are you going to do with it? And with Tavares out now. Who comes in? Is it a Robertson? Is it is it Galchenyuk? Who who do you who, is it a Brooks and Engvall? I think Galchenyuk should come in. So now all of a sudden you're going to get a guy who I thought should have been in the lineup in game one. Now he's in there. Show us what you got. Here's your opportunity. Go and grab it. It's it's one of those things. It's your depth guy that's going to have an opportunity. Injuries are going to happen to every team. You go to the Stanley Cup Finals. You're going to have a starting goaltender that might not be good for a couple of games. You have your backup go in. Maybe start a series, come in in a series. You're going to have one of your big names is going to come down with some kind of injury. Um, it it always happens. And wh- how do you guys adapt? And I think Keith talked about that. The good teams, when one of their best players goes down, 
yes, your team is not the same, but you figure you figure out a way around it. And you're going to need a guy that, like, it might not be a one-person thing. Like, it's not like Kerfoot will step up into a bigger role or Galchenik comes up. and It's like these two guys aren't going to save the team because they're in the lineup or and a guy's getting more ice time. This is going to be a collective effort from a number of guys. You might need Jason Spezza to take more draws. You're going to need face-offs to come be better. You're going to need a guy in the power play to be better. You're going to need a guy to log minutes. You're going to need somebody that can come in and play with Nylander and make sure that he's going and he was going in game one, but it's not just uh, one player in the lineup. That's just going to step up and play better. And whoever gets inserted to kind of save them. It's a guy like Tavares goes down. It's a collective effort. It's going to be three, four players that, that fill all the things that, that Tavares does so well. And here's what the Leafs need tomorrow night. I mean, if- 0 for 4 on the power play last night, and and they gave up a shorty as the game-winning goal. They they have got to, I'm, I'm talking more of the power play. The penalty kill's been just fine and has been for a lot of the second half of the season. They have got to figure out a way to get this power play going. And a yeah, lot of that, too, has beaten Carey Price. So it's it's easier said than done. We'll open up the phone lines, 416-870-0590, 416 Hugh Burl is decked out in red. He'll jump in for the panel. Dr. Michael Clairfield, a former Maple Leafs team doctor, will join us at 7.15. You're a Leafs fan. You want to comment on the Tavares situation, the fallout, the Felino-Perry fight, the game in general last night. Now's the time to weigh in. 416-870-0590. Your phone call's next. Four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety. We got a few minutes here before Doctor Michael Clairfield, former Maple Leafs team doctor, joins us uh, to further discuss the John Tavares situation. Your reaction to the Perry play on Tavares, to the Felino fight with Perry in the aftermath, to the game itself as the Maple Leafs fall two to one and trail the series a game to none with Game Two tomorrow night at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, let's lead things off with Fred in Toronto. Hello, Fred. Morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'll be quick. I'm firmly in Ziggy's corner on his comments. I think he was bang on. I have I was alive for 79, and, and <laughs> I was a kid, but remember that series. So I've watched a lot of sports. Slow motion doesn't make it look very good in terms of where Perry's knee is in, in his past. It looks almost like he's loading to brace for impact before he tries to jump out of the way. I know the game's real fast. Perry's had a history of not shying away from hits on the edge. Uh, he's gone through many times with questionable hits, and, and you know I have no doubt he didn't intend the damage to be so uh, big, but I question whether he really looked to get out of the way. And for that reason, though I'm not a fighting guy, I can see why the fights happen and I'm okay with the fights happening in that moment. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I it's, it, it's tough when you slow it down even more. Right. Cause then you're like, well, could, why was Perry on that path? And is you kind of didn't really move his legs or his skates. I, like I said, I'm, 
I'm not saying Perry went out of his way to make sure he clipped John in the in the head, but there is history there. And I said from or off the top is that there are certain players in the league that I need to watch a replay or I need to slow things down before I let them off. And I I think I think this is one of those situations so are, where are you saying then, Ziggy, that he he's hoping to make some kind of contact? Not violent, yeah, it, not violent need ahead contact, but maybe Tavares is on the way down and he gets him in the back. That's yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yep. And I, it's hard to explain, right? Like, how do you explain that? How do you prove that? It's just certain player situations. I've been on the ice. I know there are a lot of plays like that that happen that sometimes you don't clip a guy, you don't get in his way. But when we watch a lot of the hits that are reviewed by the league, there are certain situations where guys will go and make contact with a guy. I think the Kadri hit is another one of those. I think... Falk has the puck the other night and Kadri goes to make contact. Falk had the puck when he made contact with him, but Kadri caught his head and could have, could Nas have caught his shoulder and gotten out of the way. I think he could have, and he's going to get suspended for it at the same time. It's like the game happens so fast. And whether you want to make contact with a guy that's vulnerable, you know, that it's so, it's so hard point to certain parts of a play and say, okay, there it is. There's the infraction. There's where the guy went wrong. It, 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 we could sit here all the rest of the day and debate this right. Perry hit on, on Tavares, but it's so difficult. It's so difficult. I'm just saying I'm not letting him off. I'm not, and I'm going to say there was no intent to injure, but I'm not letting him off from him hurting Tavares we in, this, had, in this case. We have almost a 1,000 votes on the Twitter troll poll. Did a Maple Leaf need to engage Corey Perry in a fight after the Tavares injury? And 70% so far are saying no. We are getting texts about avoiding a Steve Moore, Todd Bertuzzi situation with Felino engaging Perry. My response to that is, is you've got to go back and track that situation. The more hit on Nasland happened, Matt Cook challenged Steve Moore to a fight. And you know what? That fight happened. And you know what happened in that fight? Steve Moore kicked the crap out of Matt Cook. And because he kicked the crap out of Matt Cook, it wasn't enough for the Vancouver Canucks. So you know what happened? The Todd Bertuzzi situation happened. So there was a fight jammed into that whole scenario, but because the result wasn't what the Vancouver Canucks wanted, they had to take on more retribution. So I, I like I, I'm, and I'm as conv Ziggy, you played and and you expressed confusion too. I, I don't understand how a fight s solves it. Yeah, but apparently it settles the game down. I yeah, like what like what happens if Perry beats up Felino? Then, then what? what There's got to be more, right? Because yeah, it's still like, not addressed. I, 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 then Simmons I think, fights I, Perry, right? I think Simmons comes after someone. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Well, he was coming I after really him do. later in the game. Even after even after Perry fought, Simmons was, yeah, it was, was more. Of, it was more of the same idea that Felino was doing. Yeah. It just you have so, to do something. So how many times has this guy got to pay that bill, though? That's the thing. And, and I, I just want to I want to back up. And, and first of all, I defer to Ziggy on on situations like this because nobody understands that situation that John Tavares was in better 
than Mike Zigamana. So I will always, always defer to that. However, I, I don't, I don't think it was intentional. Um, it was an accident. If you watch that play in real time, not in slow motion where you're breaking it down like the Zabruder film. Oh, back and to the left, back and watch it in real time. Nobody in the league has time to, to get out of the way and avoid that hit. It, hap- it was a blink of an eye, an absolute blink of an eye. And, and, and I, I don't, as dirty a player as Corey Perry is, and I, yes, of course, he's a dirty player. Lots of dirty players in the NHL. I don't think he meant to do that. I yeah. don't, I think he, I, Ziggy, I think he was genuinely yeah. trying to get out of the way and he wanted, I guess he wanted to but jump I think, out of the way. I, but I think that's up. what Ziggy's saying. Yeah, uh, he's yeah, not absolutely. saying there was a malicious no, intent, no, 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 no. but no. I'm going to be, the, I'm going to be the only play. I'm going to be the only ex player. That's going to say that I'll guarantee you the rest of the day on every single broadcast or radio show or analyst hit on TV. No one is going to take my, no one is going to say that what I said about I'm, I'm, I don't believe there was intent there but I can't let him off the hook because he knows what path he's on and he understands what's happening to Tavares coming down. I, I And I don't expect anyone, to, I don't expect you guys to agree with me or anybody else the rest of the day. And I, we probably, I won't hear about it. I won't hear one ex player take my side in this, but I'm sticking with my view that I, I still, I, I don't believe there was intent there, but it is Corey Perry and yeah. the path you take it's just, what are you going to suspend guys? Cause they took the wrong yeah, path and they no. accidentally hit guy. Like it's not suspendable and it's not a play where you can get mad at pair. I just, right. And I know guys, I just, I know guys, I know situations and it's, I shouldn't even be talking about it or saying this, but I have to. Yeah. Well, and it, the other, the other part is, is that you're going to ask Corey Perry, did you, did you mean to almost behead a guy? No, well, of course, the, of course not. No. And, but, and you, you could tell how concerned he was, too. He came over and he gave him a tap on, on the stretcher and everything. I, I, I absolutely respect Ziggy's opinion on this. Absolutely. Kyle in Toronto. Hello, Kyle. Yeah, so, hey, guys. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so I really respect the take, Ziggy, that you're, that you're coming out on a limb because I really worried that everyone was going to say that, uh, that Perry, it was a complete accident. And I tell you this much, you, your take is right. I don't think he meant, obviously, to hurt Tavares, um, but I, I definitely think he could have gotten out of the way. And the part, Ziggy, that I think really clinches it for me is I didn't like what Corey Perry said after the game. He said, I tried to jump and get out of the way. That's not true. So when we look back at the, at the clip, slow motion or real, he jumps after he makes contact. So the fact that he's now trying to say he jumped to try and get out of the way, I equate it like a guy taking it hard to the net and runs over the goalie. Of course, they they make it look like maybe they didn't try to get out of the way and they're not trying to hurt the goalie, but there's no way that Perry jumped before he made contact, and that's a flat-out lie, and that's why I think your take is right um, because of what he said after the game. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, 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 it's so difficult to to say one way or the other. Like, what what was Perry thinking? Was he just skating out of the zone? And I know a lot of people watching that are going to say, absolutely, he had no chance to get out of the way. But I've been on the ice, and I know what players do. I know how guys try to – there's incidental contact, interference, say whatever you want about it. And I know it's an awful take, but everybody's saying that that is the worst take that you could ever say that Perry 
didn't try to get out of the way, you've never played the game. So I don't even want to hear it. You don't have to agree with me, but don't say my take is awful. Just say, I don't agree with that and move on. But to sit here and say like, I, I, it's an awful take. You don't know what you're talking about. No, I've been on the ice and I'm not comparing it. I'm not comparing what Kadri did to what Perry did. It's the idea. I'm not talking about the actual physical contact that was made. Obviously Kadri went in to hit Falk. They're different situations. Listen to what I'm saying before you chime in. Yeah. And that's not for the last call. That's for everyone. Right, right. And You're then, on Twitter and stuff. You're texting in right now. I see it all. Just beat it, honestly. I had well, enough of it. Well, no, but it, and I think you're being very clear. My interpretation of what you're saying. I have, is okay, that, hold on. Here's a, here's another one. Gord Paul on Twitter. Comparing the hit to Kadri's is absolutely ridiculous. You're ridiculous. Beat it. Yeah. Well, no, but I you are... You are saying that you don't believe there was malicious intent. Corey Perry is not out on the ice trying to decapitate John Tavares with his knee, but by the same token, he didn't necessarily do his very best to get completely out of the way. And that's not straddling a fence. Those are two completely different scenarios. Uh, Trevor is in Uxbridge. Trevor, take it away. How's it going this morning, guys? Better if they'd won, get them tomorrow night. Ziggy, you're fired up, and I love it. Listen, I agree with you. Like, okay, as a fan base, we need to stop saying, oh, well, when you slow it down, when you watch it in slow motion, when you break it down frame by frame, that's not the way the game happens. You literally have split seconds, if that, to make a decision to get out of the way, to throw on the brakes. It doesn't matter if it's the parry hit, which I believe was there was zero sense of maliciousness at all and and i don't really want to get into it too much but even the cadre hit i mean falk takes a shot he's in a vulnerable position cadre doesn't have time in that in that play to hammer on the binders and not finish his check this is playoff hockey we're out here to win and if this if if the roles had been reversed here let's say it was kerfoot who put a knee to gallagher or or anderson or Tofoli's head leaf fans would be saying oh wow oh hold on hold on uh he was in the vulnerable position. Our guy couldn't get out of the way. I'm just, I'm sick and tired of hearing fans say, well, when you slow it down, when you slow it down. It's, what, it's just what you said, Ziggy. Play the game. You don't have time to make those decisions. The game isn't played in slow motion. So just stop. Stop, please. Appreciate the uh, phone call, Trevor. I, I will say, I will say that I, I, it's a far stretch for me to equate the desire to win in, in the playoffs with what Nazem Kadri did to Justin Falk. Because most players aren't doing what Nazem Kadri did to Justin Falk. And we have a misguided sense of what toughness is if 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 we're if we're advocating for that. But the Perry situation and the Kadri situation are two completely different things. Two completely uh, I'm just different say, the one the, the one thing about the Kadri thing just quickly is that I don't think Kadri is out trying to head hit Falk in that situation. Is he trying to clip him and not hurt him, but put him in a spot where he gets him and stings him with something? Yes, I think so. And I think he just caught his head. Like, I don't think causes uh, Nas is like one of these guys that, and I know he's got a history in the cross checking and the bad hits in the playoffs and he's been suspended, but the play with Falk, Falk had. He had the puck. He went to hit the player. I don't think he was out head hitting. I've, I, 
I've played with Kadri. I know what kind of guy he is. He's not one of those guys that, and I know he's got, has the history, but not like if you want to talk about the dirty players in the league and, and line them all up, he's not one of those guys and a hit like the one on Falk. I'm sorry, but I think he was trying to hit him. I think he was trying to hit him with a stinger and make sure he got him well, but I, to, to hit him in the head the way he did just after his reaction, I could just tell he, he knows he's being watched. He doesn't like, he knows that the history behind him with Toronto, he knows the league's watching him. You think he wanted that to happen? He didn't. Dr. Michael Clairfield is a former Toronto Maple Leafs team doctor. He is a current sports physician with the uh, Cleveland clinic Canada here in Toronto and uh, he's got some experience in this area with John Tavares and is good enough to take some time uh, to uh, join us. Dr. Clairfield, thank you for your time this morning. Let's let's start with this. An incident like Perry on Tavares happens, and you immediately get to ice level. Uh, you're a human being, so you're working through your emotions, but you, unlike most of the rest of us, have a very important and very immediate job to do. What are you immediately assessing on the ice? And what is the process to get John safely to wherever it is he needs to be, in this case, the hospital? You know, this is as a team doctor uh, at every game. You're on the sidelines at ice level. And this is the one thing you fear every game, that something tragic is going to happen. And this is, you know, obviously we all saw one of the most horrific uh, hits and injuries we've seen in a long time. And you, so, you, you know, you, you react immediately. You have your thought in your mind. And you got to realize before the season and probably before the playoffs, we actually go on the ice and practice these scenarios. So we're, we're not going in green. We go on the ice. We take uh, people on the ice. We practice these scenarios to deal with these emergency situations. So when we get there, we are well-versed in practice, and we know our routines. We know who's doing what and what's doing who. And this case was interesting because, you know, John initially got hit terribly. He was on his knees. The trainer came out and grabbed his head, and he was on his knees. And then you want to stabilize the neck, which is the major thing in these kind of injuries right away. And it looked like John initially this went, went unconscious for a bit, and then he sort of got a bit when he woke up, was a bit uh, combative, which is not atypical when you have this kind of head injury. And it makes it difficult for the medical staff to calm him down and stabilize him and make sure he is not doing further uh, damage to the already the injury that may or may not have happened. So our first thing is to make sure, you know, it's the ABCs of any emergency. You want to make sure his airway is clear and make sure he's breathing and make sure he's not having any life-threatening immediate uh, situations going on. And once we determine that he's not having any life-threatening emergency situations, there's no airway uh, problem or heart issues, then the important thing at that time is to stabilize the neck because there obviously did, there was a significant neck injury and make sure his neck is stabilized that if there is a uh, trauma to his neck, they're not doing any further damage to the spinal cord, which can cause obviously some uh, severe injuries and, and long-term problems. So that's our, our, our plan on the ice when we go on there. And it, it looks last night with, with John that in, I'm sure you've had this happen a lot where a guy goes down on the ice and whether it's a head, neck or something else where they want to get off the, the ice themselves. I had a, I, I had a career ending 
um, head injury and checked to my head and neck. And I, that's, I was unconscious, but as soon as I got up, I was like, I have to get off the ice and no one would let me. What's that like when a guy wants to get off on his own, but you know, it's, it's dangerous for that player, like a situation like last night with John. Yeah. You know, it's sort of, it certainly reminds me of, uh, you know, looking at that injury last night when he had John's head and, and he was on his knees. My, my first year as a lead physician in 1989, when Gary Roberts was playing for Calgary and was hitting at the boys near the league bench, and he was in a very same precarious situation. But the players, you know, they, they're confused. They've had a traumatic injury. They don't, they don't know what they're going. And the important thing is they're confused. They're, you know, want to get off the ice, and you are trying desperately to um, make sure they are not doing any their damage themselves. So it's a fine line to, you know, trying to restrain them and have them cooperate and and you know what's going to eventually they're going to come to their senses but it's it is that first you know few minutes when they're confused they're combative it is, it is very uh, tenuous for sure dr michael clairfield is our guest former toronto maple leafs team doctor now a sports physician with the cleveland clinic canada here in toronto you're listening to lead off Sportsnet 590, the fan. And when I ask you this, Dr. Clairfield, I understand that you have not diagnosed John. You have not been around John in the last 12 to 14 hours uh, since this happened. Uh, so I'm asking a general question here. What are, what are the next steps? Like two people like Ziggy and me who have no background in this, Ziggy has some personal experience suffering injury, but we're not doctors, like would say John Tavares' season Un, non-negotiably should be over and and the the long road back will include feeling good and then having a bunch of weeks or months go by in my opinion where you're consistently feeling good before you even consider getting back on the ice yeah you know it's it's like you say i don't i'm not privy to the information of uh, the exact injuries he sustained the report are coming back that the tests were negative. And I, I would assume that would include a uh, CT scan of his head, make sure there's no bleeding in his, around his brain. They would have done an MRI of his neck. And sometimes, you know, I recall, you know, a few years ago with Ricky Ray, you know, his injury was not that serious to his neck, but had a minor ligamentous injury, which kept him out for six months' time because um, of the risk of further damage. And we sort of hope that's not the case with John. He certainly had a significant concussion. And so the, the, the just a priori, the very, very minimum, very, very minimum, and would, would be seven to ten days he would before he'd be back playing hockey. But I would say that's probably a very minimum and probably going to be longer than that. So it would depend on the nature of the injury. And sometimes, you know, with head injuries and you do go unconscious, and the fact that you go unconscious is really does not... Um, make that head injury uh, any more serious than not. Um, it is a trauma to the brain, but the long-term implications of that are not that serious. So it really, it really will depend if there's any more injury than a, a concussion to his head, how much neck injury there is, and how he responds over the next uh, short period of time uh, in his recovery. But it, it, it could be shorter than we think, and it could be longer than we think. So I think we're still in that gray zone there to see how he uh, responds and, and what the actual nature of the injuries have been that he sustained last night. Yeah, and, and from my experience and from what I've learned the last eight years, it's almost, from the doctors, they say it's almost better you go unconscious than sit there 
and you're kind of half in it, half out of it, and you're moving around, you see when players swap and try to get back to the bench. Apparently, from what we know, it's it's worse when you see a guy that's obviously he can't find his feet under him, but he's you know he's he's awake, but he can't quite stand up and he's incoherent. And uh, for sure, John was out of it and then tried to get up. I don't know if he was totally unconscious. I don't know what you saw of it or, but yeah, I, I mean, I, that's kind of what I know of when guys get hit. It's almost better that you, I know it looks worse when a guy's unconscious on the ice and he's out of it. But from all the doctors I've talked to and specialists, they say they prefer and they've seen less damage from players that are actually out of it on the ice versus ones that aren't. You know, for a non-doctor person, I was very astute and very correct. Um, so the fact that John went out for a short period of time um, does not really change the how we deal with him in the next uh, short period of time. And you're, and sometimes you're right. Sometimes it is a and is, is not that relevant. And you're, you're sometimes the effects on the brain uh, can be worse and longer having those other symptoms that you, as you talked about. Doctor Clairefield, go ahead. Finish your thought. You know, I'll have to wait and see how he does. It's how he has responds to the next, you know, few days to a week, and and that's will be the key part of his recovery and his prognosis to return to the ice. Uh, Doctor Michael Clairfield, we we thank you for your time this morning, and uh, we'll reach out again as as need be. Thank you for for this information. Well, thanks for having us on, Mion, and uh, have a great day. Doctor Michael Clairfield. Uh, doing work with the uh, Cleveland Clinic Canada here in Toronto, also the Toronto Argonauts team physician, former uh, Toronto Maple Leafs team doctor. We'll reopen the phone lines in the 7.50 block before Elliot Friedman joins us at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Up next, former Leafs captain, three-time 50-goal scorer Rick Vive on the John Tavares situation and how you bounce back from a Game 1 loss in a playoff series. You're... Elliot Friedman will be along at the uh, top of the hour. Jim Ralph before the end of the show as well. Longtime radio analyst on uh, Toronto Maple Leafs hockey broadcast. 2-1, to one, the Habs beat the Leafs last night on a Paul Byron shorthanded goal in the third period. That was the difference. Carey Price was amazing. Obviously, we are uh, spending a lot of the morning talking about the John Tavares situation, which was very difficult to watch and all we can say as often as possible this morning is that we are uh, hopeful that John is well and, and thinking of his family. It, it's just, a, it's a mortifying situation. Ziggy has a personal relatable experience to, to all of this. And it's, it's a tough thing. Uh, we are trying to get in touch with uh, former Leafs captain, Rick Vive and the phone lines are open at 416-870-0590 416 0590 texts are coming in to 59590 Dom and Maple only Perry knows for sure if he could have avoided a collision with Tavares however based on his history I would lean towards Perry being malicious the Leafs should rally behind Tavares and smash the Habs go Leafs go uh, cheers from Dom in Maple so plenty of debate this morning Ziggy of course about the fight afterward and and was it necessary 
Uh, you talked about where the punch is even real, and I, I called it performative. I, I hold the opinion. Uh, as somebody who did not play the game at a high level, but then again, there's movies I've watched I didn't like and I've never acted. Uh, I also happen to have an opinion on those things. That I, that I, I think there has got to be, um, and there has been, but got to be more change in the way that, it, that, that we view retribution in the sport. Um, but if you say that that things t- calmed down, tampered down as a result of 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 Felino and and Perry doing the dance, I'll take your word for it. Seventy uh, percent of our Twitter respondents to the poll question, though, say that they don't believe a fight was needed in the immediate aftermath. Yeah, I I still think it, it did settle things down. Fighting's coming out of the game. I don't like it as much as you know the guy next to me, but. Situations like that, if they if they don't, the, the the game that Felino and Simmons grew up in, that's what settled things down. And that's pretty much what it comes down to. This isn't somebody, you know, as the game moves along and evolves and changes, and we can sit here for three hours and debate that another day, but it, it does. And we've seen from the stats that fighting slowly come out of the game. The dangerous hits are slowly coming out. They're still happening. Fights are still going to, we're still going to see them in a situation like last night. It, it's like you see a player on your own team that goes down like Tavares. I'll tell you right now, you don't want to play a game. Think about the whole season, everything they've talked about. Think about the buildup of not getting out of the first round for the Leaf players. They watched the Tavares hit last night and they don't want to play anymore. Mm -hmm. You do not want to go on the ice. If I wasn't coming on the morning today, I would have turned the TV off and I would have went to bed. I was so sick. So imagine being on the ice and trying to get through that. Like guys are professionals and yeah, you're going to see Matthews with his head down and and Thornton looked like he couldn't play after. Like we're sitting here like talking about different players performances this morning and you know, Joe Thornton wasn't great last night, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to go after anybody last night because I, I, you get a free pass in you get to watch something like that. A lot of guys aren't going to come back. Yeah, you see them play hard, but a guy like Thorn, he looked—he didn't look well, and the rest of his game wasn't good last night. But I don't want to come on here this morning and say Sandine on for both goals. He was—he looked out of sorts, and Thornton wasn't his usual self, and the power play was brutal, and Marner should shoot the puck more. Like I, I just, you know what, I. I I just I can't do that this morning. I'll talk I'm talking about the game, but that hit, it's it's tough to watch. And I feel bad about the guys having to play in that. And I feel I feel for the Canadians players too. It just it almost seems like when the fight happens last night with Felino and Perry, it's just like, okay, you hit our guy, whether you meant to or not, you're gonna pay for it. And and we're gonna move on and try to make a game out of this and try to make a series out of it. Let's not have this drag on. Well, they got a game tomorrow night, and there's still a series to play, right? So at, at some point, I, I don't want to say you move on from it, but the hockey ain't going to stop um, for, for better or for worse, uh, and they, and they got to bounce back tomorrow night. Let's go to Walter and Bolton on the phone lines, 416-870-0590. Your thoughts, Walter? Wow. Um, pretty emotional last night. Um First time all year I got my family to watch the game and uh, my 15-year-old was crying. It was pretty crazy last night. But um, I, I'm going to argue a little bit with the last caller, just a little bit about 
how the professionals on the ice could not continue this fight last night. I mean, we were completely outplayed, I felt, defensively, offensively, uh, out-hustled. Josh Anderson was a beast. Um, Carey Price did what Carey Price was supposed to do. I don't think he did anything fantastic. I think he played his position well. I think we hit him a lot in the chest. Um, about Corey Perry, I mean, we know, we all know his history. Um, Ziggy, man, you're right on, bro. Um, that's, uh, that's something that uh, a player of his seniority on the ice is very well aware of what's going on. And uh, I think um, his, his history proves, you know, he's Ralphie Torres. He's, I'm, I'm not going to get into that. Um, you saw the emotion on Austin Matthews' face last night, and uh, it hit hard to the team. But uh, as professionals, I mean, Austin Matthews is an upper echelon player in this league. He's got to put the team on his back and, uh, and, 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 and carry that team to victory for, for the captain. Guys, uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, come on, Leafs, come back. I think they can. They have the talent. They're built for the playoffs. Uh, I don't know who's going to be your number two center now. Is it Kerfoot? I don't see Thornton doing it. He didn't do very well last night, but uh, I know it was emotional. It's still emotional, but uh, go Leafs, go. Love you guys. Take care. All right, Walter and Bolton. Yeah, I, it's it, it's it's a tough tough hit to watch. Like I said, for kids having to see that, I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's scary. Um, and, yeah, kids – a lot of people were in tears last night. I, uh, people are message, messaging me watching the game. And like I said, you know, texting with people that, that know John well. And it was a long night. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought Montreal, they did what they had to do. They uh, we, Leading up to the game and breaking down what Montreal, what, what they were going to look like. Carey Price had to be really good. I think Carey Price was really good. Oh, he's stoned Marner the in the third period. I mean, that was a... That well, was a nine I, beller, I, at least. Yeah, I I don't think that was a I don't think that was a good stop or a big stop in the game. I think that was the best stop I've seen all year. Like I don't think I've seen a better save. I'm not talking about the moment. I'm talking about a save on a two on one and the chances a goalie having of stopping a puck. I don't care about the fancy reach back, reach behind. The I, it wasn't a desperation save. That was a goaltender reading the situation. And working hard to get over to make the play. That's what a big save. And when I try to rate saves, like any of the desperation stuff where the guy's diving across or it hits the knob of his stick or the toe of his skate. Yeah, they look great for the highlights and they look spectacular. But the price save last night was the best save I saw all year. Well, I, and I think and it, then you, yeah, I just say, Ziggy, you take it one step further. You've got a shooter with the puck, Nylander, right? dishing it and Nylander Nylander can be a playmaker too but I, I think he's got a shoot first instinct who dishes to the traditional playmaker for the shot so you, you know Price has to honor the strong Absolutely. possibility that Nylander's going to take the that's shot what in that makes situation. it a great that's what yeah. I, that's what makes it a great save Scotty and not a lot of people watching that will see that they're just seeing a guy oh two on one and he slid across laterally to his right. Uh, it's a way bigger save than that. I'm telling you, that is the best of the season. I don't even know what comes close to that. And then you add in the time of 
where it was where that save happened third period game on the line like I thought he was excellent I I, I thought I thought without price they don't win that game um Anderson was a beast out there he controlled the game massive first goal when no one wants to be out there like Anderson's in no different spot than Ma- Matthews or Thornton or anybody else on the ice he watched the same play watch his reaction on the bench and he just he found a way to overcome that. I don't know how, but he found a way to get his game under him again. And he was a beast out there. Like the back checking, the hitting, scoring a huge goal like that in a, in a game where where somebody goes down with an injury like that. Like I, th- That's somebody we watched for. Uh, Toffoli was kind of quiet, was okay out there. Weber playing through the injury. He can't even shoot the puck. And the guy like that just finds a way to do the right things angling, making sure, keeping guys to the outside, a good stick, where a stick he can't even hang on to. But every shot, uh, Bieksa broke him down well last night as well. You could tell that every time he took a shot, something's just not right with that top hand. He lost his stick a couple times, but he did well. What didn't really run out of position. Guys like that, that's what makes them great. I thought Sherratt was, you know, I t- he took the one penalty on Matthews. I didn't, you know... I don't think is great if if you're Montreal, you, you don't take swings at guys. But he was good out there. They they played a they played almost the perfect game, and I, that's we talked leading up to it. What are you going to expect tonight? How are the Canes going to win? It's going to have to be a tight checking game if they want to win it. And we said there's going to be two ways to ad- to address their lineup. Are they going to go with skill and young guys and legs with Caulfield and Kotkaniemi, or are you going to go the other way? And their way's working right now. You can't blame them. But if like they get blown out of game one, and then all of a sudden you have Kod Kanyemi and Caulfield sitting there. Like it's that's a tough call to make from a Canadian's organization standpoint. Four one six eight seven zero zero five ninety. The phone lines are open until the top of the hour. Elliot Friedman will join us at that point. Barry is in Hamilton. Hello, Barry. Good morning, guys. Fire away. When I saw that injury last night, and it was a terrible injury to watch, the first thing that came to mind and I'm an old guy, so a lot of your fans might remember this too, is when Tony Fernandez took that slide, flipped on his elbow and broke it, and basically took the Jays out of playoff contention. And that was one of the worst sports injuries in Toronto sports history. And I'm really hoping the Maple Leafs can do what the Blue Jays didn't do, which was try to overcome the loss of a very important figure on their team, from a very horrific injury to watch. You remember when Fernandez flipped on that elbow, he was holding it and grasping it, and it was a terrible slide that got him into that position. But the Jays couldn't overcome the injury, and I'm really hoping the Maple Leafs uh, don't do what the Blue Jays did back when they needed the team to win. All right, Barry, we all, uh, thank you for the phone call. I mean, it's impossible to predict where this goes now, Ziggy. Uh, Tavares's loss is massive for this roster. It is next man up with a game tomorrow night. But there are some things in last night's game, and it was post-Tavares where this occurred generally, that are red flags. The power play, one able to score a goal, and in fact, not only did the power plays offset, both teams pulled offers, the Habs scored a shorty in the third period to win. So if your power play is given up, and not putting a puck in the net, that that's that's going to kill this 
this Maple Leafs team. So I, I don't think it's about heart and determination and desire. We know these guys want it. It's about execution. And the problem is right now there's a hell of a goaltender at the other end of the rink and a team, the Montreal Canadiens, that are committed to playing a certain style that for one game at least has worked. Yeah, and special teams was a lot. You can't keep flipping pucks over the glass and and the whole Justin Hall one. I'm still shaking my head. It is, and I was, I went to the rule book and made a couple calls to people that that know it well. I was shocked that he got a call for putting the puck over the ice, whacking a puck out of the air. Um, I'm sure it's part of the rules because Keith would have said something or would have been a little bit more upset or would have made a call to the guys you know, off the ice that they can talk to to review offside calls or goals in front of the net when if they want to review stuff. I was shocked that Hall got an over-the-glass penalty for knocking a puck out of the air. But I will say that I have been on the ice for a puck going over top of the net and a goaltender batting the puck, and they've been given a penalty. So if you want to compare both of those, fine. I'm just a guy knocking a puck out of the air. You're giving him a penalty. I just, I, I don't like that. Here's a, here's a take, and I'll repeat it. Because I think I've said it before, get rid of the get rid of the puck over the glass penalty. I, yeah, I, the I, grew, the, the, I grew the up problem watching is, the game the in the 80s is, and 90s, Ziggy. They weren't yeah, they weren't putting the puck over the glass every minute and a half. They yeah, weren't. But guys, guys are going to do it now. Guys are. It's a different game. Guys are. Uh, I'm sure coaches coaching and practices. Yeah, we get hemmed in our net, flick one over the pass. Like I, I used to like it. It used to happen. I'm telling you, I, I know back in the 80s, guys didn't do it, but I don't think I don't think teams care and coaches care now put the puck over the glass it's almost like comparing it to diving right or it's you're trying to gain an advantage it's you can embellish calls to get the power play but it's just not honorable right well i mean um, but but somebody might say to me it's a totally objective call it either happened or it didn't and if it happens you call it mm -hmm. every other call on the ice is subjective Almost every other. You get a five-minute fighting major for a fight. I understand that, but that's an objective stated rule. You bleed on a high stick, it's four minutes instead of two. But most every other call, did he trip a guy? Did he not trip a guy? Did he did he charge a guy? Did he not? Those are all subjective calls. I I would advocate for the referees being given some leeway to judge intent. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, and that's situational, time of game, whatever. But yeah. you can't say that Justin Hall, to your point, intended try to knock. But yeah, it, it wasn't that that whole play was brought in. So when you get hemmed in your net, your end, flip the puck over, you get new a new group on the ice. That's why that rule was brought in. So why not I, just, I just why not just turn it into the icing call? You flip the puck over yeah. the glass. You can't change lines. Like, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, you could do that as well. Um, I, I don't see them taking the rule out. But back to the whole special teams thing. The PK was good. And as long as the PK is good, you can get away with your power play doing that. But they had many chances to take that game. Get back in it. Take the lead. Like they, they, if the power play was good, one, you know, just a goal on the power play last night. And it's a totally different game at at, at any point. Well, surely to God, one you, of them, surely to God, in a one-one game in the third period, when you're on a man advantage, you can't give one up. That's what I, that that's a dagger, well, man. A dagger. Giving one up was yeah, and that was that's up there for goals on the, of the year for me too. Mm -hmm. I, I I I'm putting that up in my I'm putting that up in my top five of the year. 
like we had, I had the best save of the year and the top five nicest goal of the year. Um, and it wasn't some trick play, you know, the Michigan flipping the stick over. That's just the guy. Well, Armia made a great play inside the blue line to get it up there. Joel, um, who I played with in Rochester, he made a great play. And then, you know, Byron I, just out hustled Sandine. I think Sandine was kind of concerned. It's Byron's one of its fastest guys in the league played against him a lot in the minors. Um, always a guy that came out, worked hard, plays a little bit of edge. And then all of a sudden you get, you get tripped up. There was going to be a, a penalty on the, uh, on that play anyways, and finds a way to chip it over the glove. I, I mean, it's one of the best I've seen. It's, it's one of the best of the year. 416-870-0590. More of your phone calls in just a moment. Elliot Friedman at the top of the hour. Anthony in Toronto, you're up next, right? Hello, Anthony. Good morning. How are you? We're well. Excellent. Uh, the reason for my call this morning is uh, I wanted to point out that I noticed uh, just after the Tavares uh, injury, uh, Simmons was rushing up the right side of the ice, and um, Perry went to go buy him, and I noticed Perry stuck his right knee out again. And then as soon as the whistle had blown on the other side of the ice, that's when Simmons went after him. But I didn't. nobody else noticed it. Yeah, I, 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 I missed that. Yeah. So. I, I missed it. So I apologize. Um, was this before or after the Tavares? Was it like I don't? I don't. What part of the game was it? You know what? It was after the Tavares injury, and after the fight and all that. But uh, mm. I'm not sure what. I'm not sure if it was in the second period or what it was. But uh, like I said, I noticed uh, Perry sticking out his right knee, and then uh, I think that's why Simmons went after him after the play ended. Uh, yeah. So maybe that's why Simmons went after. After Perry, I know we I know we were talking about earlier why why would Simmons have to go after Perry if I'm guessing if it was after the fight as well. So yeah, I I, I was out of sorts. Um, like I said, I was on my phone a lot after the hit. I I I missed a bit of that. I, I did see the goal, but the whole thing with Simmons going after Perry, I didn't catch a lot of that or any of the stuff behind the scenes. It's it's tough not being at the game watching something like that and watching the benches. That's when you get to cover the games and, you know, you used to go to a lot of them before the, the pandemic shutdown and you get to see more of guys going to the bench, what guys are doing, who's pushing who, what kind of internal battle, right? There's lots of like mini battles that happen in the game that are tough to see on the ice. And it's, it's nice to be at the rink and obviously um, plays like that where Perry sticks his knee. Like I, I, I didn't see anything. Um, I, I or, can't comment on it either because I didn't see it, but yeah. you never know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I, I, I don't know what to, I, I don't know what to make of, of why if, if Felino, like just the fact that Felino fought Perry, like Simmons is the guy that's just not going to let it go. He's going to keep, like he's not going to fight Perry or go after him in the same way that Felino fights him. But if you expect Simmons not to say anything to Perry, like, Sorry, that ain't happening. He's going to be talking to him. Is he going to be going after him? No. It got settled with the fight, and I, I'm not digging into that again, but I know Elliot's coming on a little bit later. We'll ask him, but you don't think Simmons tomorrow night's going to say anything to Perry? Absolutely. Yeah, just after a scrum in front of the net, you better believe he's in his face. He's not going to go after him, but he's going to be right in his face all game. Yeah, just don't take a penalty. Uh, don't put your team behind the eight ball. Daryl is in Whitby. Hello, Daryl. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. 
I just wanted to touch on a few things. I think, in my opinion, the fight happened because of the, sever- the severity of the injury, number one, and I do believe on the Leafs' part there was a bit of intent there, and that's why it happened. But the one concerning thing to me last night, I, I don't see any other goalie, 95% of the goalies in the NHL would not have let those goals in that Campbell let in, especially the second one. That was brutal. That's deflating. You're going back to uh, Anderson letting in soft goals again. It's the same thing, in my opinion. All right, Daryl, we'll we'll jump on the, the Campbell train here. I mean, he was committed to the poke check. I thought Jack Campbell... I thought Jack Campbell played a very good game, generally speaking, last night. I thought he was at the top of his crease. Um, yeah. You know, big, Shea Weber big, big couldn't... Big save on Anderson. Yeah. Big save on Anderson Huge early. Huge save yeah. on Anderson early. Uh, Shea Weber can't shoot the puck the way that he typically does because of his injury, but he's at the top of the crease. Campbell is um, fighting for pucks on Habs power plays, fighting for line of vision, all of that stuff. I had no problem at all with the way Jack Campbell played. Your goaltender has to be is your best penalty killer. When your PK is good, more often than not, your goaltender is 60, 70% of it. Yeah, he can have good systems and guys can work hard and block shots, but gosh, is it have a lot to do with who's in net? And some goaltenders are better facing a lot of traffic and shots coming from the side and shots going. You know, cross ice. You know the teams that really use the the width of uh, of an end on a power play and are good at one timers. But I, I thought Campbell was good last night. The the goal, the breakaway, I, it was one of the best I've seen of the year. And if you want to say we need big saves in those situations, you can make that case. But to say it was a uh, he should have stopped it. I, I thought it was. I thought it was a great. Great play by Byron. I, I yeah. Maybe, maybe it's a- I, I can't, I can't blame him for either goal. I thought that's what I want out of my starting goaltender. That's it. I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's what I want out of him. Like, Z, okay, so- sure. He, sh- he should have stopped the Anderson goal as well. Then, like, what? I don't know where to go from here. But it's believe me. Who's, who's the first guy to call it the goaltenders? Yeah, but I, I mean, <laughs> I, I am not. I'm shy. laughing. I'm laughing because the perception of the breakaway is so different now than it was when we were young and watching the game. And maybe that's because goaltenders were just figuring out that you could paint your pads different colors. They didn't have to be brown and nobody knew what a butterfly was. But typically if a guy went in on a breakaway in the eighties, he was going to score. Yeah. I, I, in this day and age, it's a, if your goalie doesn't stop a breakaway, people are whining and kvetching. You know what? I no disrespect to um, Byron in the, in this situation. Um, but no, no disrespect to Paul Byron, but I'd almost rather him be on his skates and have a full breakaway than having him pulled down. And now he knows he's getting a penalty shot or a power play. Right. So it's like you're playing with house money and then you're going in there on your knees. Campbell doesn't really know what you're going to do. It's almost like when a guy goes on a breakaway and a defenseman or the guy chasing him knocks the guy's stick and he doesn't shoot the puck where he wants to shoot it. It's almost one of those situations where Campbell was guessing that. It's like, do I poke check him? He's on his knees. Like, what do I do? Like, he's in a tough spot. The guy's on. Paul Byron's on his knees. Like, you're sitting in that there. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, so that, that's yeah. I, I'm I'm okay with both goals last night. I'm I'm not going to get mad at Campbell. Right, and it, it became very clear in the third period that the the next goal was going to win, and unfortunately. It was Montreal, Byron, 
on a on a, on a shorthanded opportunity. And quite frankly, I mean, we always we always laid at the goalie's feet. Uh, Matthews got pressured inside the blue line on the power play. Uh, Joe Thornton lost a puck battle right at the offensive blue line just after that, and that that effectively sprung Byron, and that was the end of it. And we we never talk about the two or three steps prior. We always talk about did the goaltender make the save. I guess that's part of playing that position. Elliot Friedman in just a moment. Here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan, the Habs take game one, two to one over the Maple Leafs. Paul Byron's shorthanded goal at the 1244 mark of the third period. The difference, John Tavares, the state of his health uh, is at the top of all of our minds this morning. And the reports coming from the hospital are that all the tests he has undergone uh, have come back negative. So that is positive, and that would be for things like bleeding on the brain, et cetera. We'll wait for an official diagnosis, uh, but it would seem, it would seem that Tavares is out long-term. Florida with a huge third period to erase a two-goal deficit, and then they get the game winner in overtime. Ryan Lomberg with his first career playoff goal, 6-5. The Panthers win in Tampa Bay to make it a series. It's been a roadie series. Two games to one, Tampa Bay ahead. Uh, Pittsburgh on Brandon Tanev's late third period goal, a 5-4 winner over the Islanders on Long Island. Pittsburgh leads the series two games to one. And Minnesota Wild fans thought they had it in the bag after the first period, right? Oh, Hayden Matthewson is uh, waving at me with one finger. I'll let you guess which one. It was 2-0 Minnesota, and then... The bad news kicked in. Vegas with five unanswered, including an empty netter to ice it. 5-2. Vegas over Minnesota. The Golden Knights with a two-games-to-one series lead. Uh, Rafael Dolis had a rough ninth inning. The Blue Jays blew it. A fall 8-7 to Boston. They kick off a four-game series through Monday with Tampa Bay tonight in Dunedin. And Russell Westbrook and the Washington Wizards had a 0.6% chance of making the playoffs as recently as April 6th. Well, they are in the NBA playoffs as the eighth seed, thanks to last night's 142-115 win over Indiana. And I don't need to tell you this, Westbrook had a triple-double. Uh, Elliot Friedman is with us from Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Sportsnet, 31 Thoughts, the column weekly on sportsnet.ca and the podcast, which he co-hosts with Jeff Merrick. He is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. And Elliot, when I, when I ask you this, I'm asking you if you can to, to peel back the curtain. We had Dr. Uh, Michael Clairfield on last hour, tried to get his perspective on how you handle the situation in the moments after John Tavares's injury. You, like everybody else, uh, we were watching Ziggy and I. We were stunned. Um, you kind of go through it. You think of him and his family. You have a job to do trying to compile information. Uh, what were the what were the moments after the Tavares incident like for you? Well, I think, you know, I don't know if I've ever, um, you know, when you cover a lot of sports and, you know, you go through the reactions together with the audience, um, you know, there's things you remember watching, whether it's a, a big win or a tough defeat, and you see kind of the, emotion unfold on social media together, right? I don't know if I've ever been in a broadcast last night where that was the way it unfolded in terms of reaction. Um, it was a very new feeling. It was a very different experience. 
um, when it happened. And obviously, I think the video that um, that the video that really kind of got to everyone was when Tavares tried to get up, right? And I also and you see the reaction of the players, you see the reaction on Matthew's face, you see the reaction of the the general manager Kyle Dubas, you know, is banging the table as if okay, we've got to react quicker here, and then running down on the phone to be with his player. Um, the eerie silence in the building. Um, you know, I, I I think the people watching the game, you know, they were they were as affected as the players were. I know we were sitting there watching it. Um, you know, we have a group chat uh, of some of us, and even hours after the game, we were talking about how excited we were for the series, uh, just to see Toronto and Montreal play each other, and then how it really just took all of the positive energy out of the momentum that uh, we had coming in. And, um, you know, in that moment, my particular role, is, as you know, is to collect information as much as you possibly can. And in that moment, you're kind of sitting there going, okay, how do I balance trying to collect information with kind of interfering in a moment where some of the people you'd want to talk to don't need to hear from you? And I think in those moments, you kind of actually pull back a little bit and say, I'm going to let everybody sort of breathe a bit, catch their breath, and then start saying, okay, what information uh, can I collect here? And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I think that the people who were broadcasting and working the game, both in front and behind the camera, we had the same reaction, Scott, as you and Mike and probably everyone in the audience did. It was, it was tough to watch. It, it made you feel and it really took a lot of the emotion and the excitement out of the game. And I think we were thinking about uh, Tavares the whole rest of the night more than we were in the game. Yeah, I, I don't know how the broadcast held together. I was telling Scotty, like, uh, it's tough. It's tough to watch. I don't know if it's a combination of how bad it looked and the fact that I uh, messaging John's friends when it happened to our people that we mutual friends or the fact that I've had a bad hit myself, but like I, if I didn't have to come on in the morning, I would have turned the game off and I, I couldn't even watch. I was just sick all night. I slept for about an hour and yeah, I don't know how the broadcast held together and, and finished that one. And the guys on the ice too. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand. Like I've never seen anything that bad. I've seen a lot of bad hits yeah, and a lot of guys, you know, getting stretched off the ice, but nothing like that. You know what it was, Mike? It was that shot of of Tavares trying to get up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, we've all seen players get hurt, and we've all seen players down. It was that particular visual, I think, that made everybody realize this is different. This is something uh, more. And you know, the other thing too is is that. I've seen situations before, like everyone has. I've been at them before, or I've watched them on TV before, where someone is injured, and while they're going off, they give that thumbs up, and it kind of signals a return to normalcy. Um, you know, I, I remember years ago, I was at a Blue Jays game. This was early in my career, and Mike Greenwell was playing for Boston, 
and he went hard into the wall and he needed to be stretchered off. And, you know, he, he did that. It was, I think it was the first time I ever really saw it in person. And the whole, the whole uh, Rogers center was quiet and everybody was sitting there going, Oh my God, I hope this guy's okay. And when he went off on the stretcher, he did that thumb up and the whole building returned to normal. And the game went on and everybody, you know, felt really good. And normally when you see that, I think it, it's that release of energy. It's like that feeling that, okay, we're going to be okay here. So Tavares does that last night, which we were all happy to see. But because of the images we'd seen beforehand, it wasn't that release. It's probably, it, it, for me, it's the first time I can remember seeing it, seeing that gesture and not feeling better that's how tough that particular image was to watch and i think most people felt that way too yeah elliot i mean the only comparison i have is is that i was in what was then scotiabank place in ottawa for a preseason game in september of 2007 so the senators had been in the cup final and lost to anaheim three months earlier and chris pronger was suspended for game four of that final because yeah. in game three, he elbowed Dean McCammond in the head. Well, mm -hmm. three months later, Steve Downey, from his own blue line, charged in from the blue line and met Dean McCammond behind the net and flew at him and elbowed McCammond in the head, who was then face down on the ice. And I remember turning to Mike Eastwood, my co-host on, on the broadcast at the time, and I said, Easty, I think he's dead. And, I mean, obviously he wasn't, but but he was out, out cold. And when you're in an arena like that, it must have been, adding to the weirdness last night, must have been the emptiness of the arena. But when you're in a situation like that, it 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 is so uncomfortable and it, it's mortifying. Like I, and it was, to your point, I mean, he was up on his knees trying to get back up and then he just sort of limply fell backward. And, and so his body was oddly contorted. Like you just, I don't know, man. I I don't want to get too hyperbolic or anything weird about it. I, I just worry about, I just hope he's okay, number one. And number two, I, I hope he can be the same human again at some point. Like that's how serious something like that is. Yeah, I, I think most people agree. Um, you know, you can see the concern on the players. Um, you could, like, if you watched Sheldon Key's post game last night, and, you know, for a coach, it, it's it's probably mixed in with the disappointment of the loss, which obviously isn't on the same level. But as a coach, you're thinking both things. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. But, you know, watching, you know, Sheldon Keith in the postgame last night, um, you know, I, you could see when he was talking about Tavares, you could see the concern on him. Um, you know, as you mentioned off the top in the update there, uh, Scott, the the initial word is that structurally, um, it sounds positive in the sense that all the tests came back clear. But you know, obviously, the body went through some trauma, and um, you know, like I, like most people probably have never suffered a, an injury like that, thankfully. But if you have, or you know someone who has. Um, you know that these things, the, the true impact isn't discovered in six hours. It, it takes a day or two to start to realize what you're fully dealing with. And, 
you know, all we can do is wish him the best. Um, John Tavares is, you know, he's been around a long time. He's from here. He has a lot of friends in the league. Um, there's a lot of people that know him. Um, he's, he's got a far-reaching impact in terms of, you know, his personal and his professional life. There's, there's a lot of concern, and there's a lot of people who will do whatever they can to help him. And, you know, I... And we can all we do is we wish him the best and we hope he makes a, a, a full recovery. I think the entire it's not even the hockey world is rooting for it. Like there's a there's a gigantic community of people on and off the ice who will do whatever they can to make sure that happens. We've been trying to explain the fight after and Felina going after Perry and I, I know hitting's coming out of the game and we're not seeing as much of it as we have in the past and uh, trying to explain to Scotty and talk through the, not the code, but having a fight like that after and just selling things down. I'm okay with it, but mm-hmm. obviously you don't want another injury, right? Um, where did you stand on the fight after and, and everything that unfolded? In the moment, I hated it. Um, uh, like, you know, I, I like. I don't think this is talking out of school, but you know, we watched the game together. Those of us who um, broadcast it, um, you know, Kelly and Kevin are on remote, but the rest of us are in the same room. And I just know there was a general feeling of, oof, you know, you don't want to watch this right now. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I was I listened to Felino's post game. Um, I I thought. You know, the one thing I felt is I always try to put myself in other people's shoes. Like, I'm sitting there watching this saying, I I don't want to watch this. But I always try to put myself in other people's shoes. What are they thinking? Why does this happen? And, you know, one of the things I'm thinking is, okay, um, this the players are deeply affected by this thing that just happened, this, this traumatic event. You know, is it possible that, you know, they're not thinking clearly? because of the emotions of the moment. Um, You know, the other thing I kind of wondered, Mike, and I actually did say this aloud in in the group, is I kind of wondered if, was there any chance he was doing it just to get everybody's mind back on the game? Um, Because I couldn't even imagine trying to play when that is uppermost on your mind. Um, I, I listened to Felino last night. And, you know, he's, he kind of downplayed uh, the, the code. He just said, you know, your, your captain's down and that's how you react. Look, as, as a person and a fan, I didn't want to see it. I didn't like it. I, I didn't want to see it. When I listened to Felino, though, I, I kind of had a better understanding. I think everybody, when you know, we all had this feeling watching it. He was in the middle of it. It's, it's not the way I would have preferred to handle it but I understand what Felino was thinking. Yeah. I just, I said earlier, just get guys back into the game and I I'm trying to explain that, but I, I don't know how I just like it. It just yeah. gets everyone back. As, yeah. As long as, as long as it doesn't land with some, end up with somebody crashing, like falling Felino, back well, and landing the on their head. Right. That's exactly Scott. Like that's exactly it. Like I, I feel really torn about it. Like, you know, like in Nick Felino, you're talking about a guy who has one of the most stellar reputations on and off the ice in the NHL. He has been honored repeatedly for the work he does. 
Like I, you know, like this went into all my conflicting, like, you know, Perry didn't even throw a punch. He, he, and you saw Shea Weber tried to talk him out of it. Um, Perry didn't put up any resistance at all. You know, he, 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 he felt, okay, I guess I have to do this, but I, I'm really not going to resist it at all. We're all saying, everybody watching the game is saying, including myself is saying, oh God, please nobody get hurt. I really don't want to see this right now. I just look at Felino's entire existence as a human being and everything that he has done to be a really good person and, I, I'm thinking about it in the moment. I don't like it. I wish it wouldn't have happened. But I, I take a look at the guy's entire resume. And in that moment, I just find it very hard to take a run at him. Like, as because of who he is. I really do. What, um, we're also discussing Perry and... <laughs> It's an accident. There, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, like, I'm not I, even listening to any of this. It's, it's yeah, it's like, an like I, I know there's no intent. I'm just, for me, I'm not gonna let him off just nah. because I, I, I'm, I'm not saying he meant to go out of his way, Elliot, to hit him. I just, there are certain players in the league that if something like that happens, you're just suspicious and it's impossible to prove. And you can say. You know, one way or the other, I'm just, I, I understand it's an accident and he didn't want to hurt John. I would just, I'm, I have a little bit of suspicion inside of me that I hate even saying it or bringing it up, but that's just my take from watching guys and being on the ice with, with certain players. And I, I'm not, I, I don't even expect anybody like, I don't even expect another former player to even take that point or, or take that stance on it. But I, I'm, I know there was no intent to injure John that bad. Yeah, I I don't uh, I understand your point about Perry's reputation. I think it's irrelevant in this case. I I don't think he had anything to do with it. Like that was that's a fluke. You know, we talk about you know you talk about all the things that you know. Like I am I, I mean I love the playoffs. I you know nobody takes a night off. Everybody's driven. Everybody's competing. The players go to another level. There's also another level. Like I, I've used this line repeatedly. There's a lot of people who look at it and say, well, the refereeing changes in the playoffs. I, I don't think the refereeing changes in the playoffs as much as the players change in the playoffs. And, you know, they're, they're, look at look at all of the games. Like Florida-Tampa last night, well, mean game. Islanders-Pittsburgh last night, um, mean game. And, you know, you look at all the things that happened in the scrums and stuff, and and then that is the play that leads to uh, just an awful moment that all of us wish we could unsee and it never happened. To me, that's a total fluke. It's it's the random nature of of hockey and life. Um, I don't know. I I find it very hard to blame Perry for this at all. I I don't think it's I don't think it's fair. With Elliot Friedman on leadoff Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. So, I mean, there's a game tomorrow night, and. Yeah. Carey Price hasn't played much hockey in the last month and a half, but played some pretty good hockey last night. And I think it's indisputable that from a skater's perspective, Josh Anderson was the best best player on either team. The Leafs and Habs were a saw off in terms of how they fared on the power play, but the Leafs gave up a shorty that, that cost them the game in the third um that will continue to be an ongoing red flag unless it somehow 
addressed and, and has a bit of a turn of, of luck or result here, Elliot. Um, I don't know if tomorrow night's a must win. The Florida Panthers were able to bounce back in game three and turn the Tampa Bay series into one, but my goodness, I mean, the, the Leafs have got to solve some things here now, and they've also got to fill John Tavares's roster spot. Yeah, you know, one of the things I kind of wonder here, Scott, is, you know, last night, I, I, as as tough as as that was, and it was really tough, at least you were in the middle of the game, so you had something else to focus on. Like, I, I wonder what the challenge of the next 48 hours is going to be. Now you're going to go to work, and, you know, to, your captain's not going to be there, his presence as a player both as a person I think it's going to be a challenge um, that the Maple Leafs are going to have to accept and for lack of a better term embrace um, because if you don't if you if you don't shift your focus it could really weigh on you um, which I completely understand Um, but you know from an on ice perspective I'm amazed at what's going on here with the power play Um, you look at all of this talent that they have and I think they've scored six goals in like a month and a half. And they, last night it cost them, uh, as you mentioned, the Byron shorthanded goal. Um, you know, when you look at that first power play, Matthews was bombing away last night and he looked very dangerous. But you could tell Montreal doesn't really respect a lot of the other shots on PP1. They're not worried about it. And, you know, that's, there, there has to be somebody else uh, on this roster that you can put there who can at least make the Canadians worry about their shot. Because right now, it's, it's Matthews and we'll let somebody else beat us. And you have to find a way around that. I will tell you this to lighten up the conversation. I had a hilarious exchange with a friend of mine last night who believes that the entire Carey Price last week was intentional subterfuge by the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> that that they set it up that Price would go to <laughs> the American Hockey League give up two goals to the Marlies in the first five minutes and then throw a tantrum at practice the day before like they think this was all to get into the Leafs heads and make them overconfident and I was like are you serious and he actually called me after, angry that I did so, not buy his theory. So did Neil Armstrong land on the moon, or did he just take a trip to Sudbury, according to your buddy? In Roswell, New Mexico. Oh, Roswell. The, secrets are, the secrets are all there, Scott. Yeah, yes, they are. Uh, With Elliot uh, Friedman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans. Ziggy, take it away. What do you, yeah, what do you, who do you think comes in to the lineup, takes Tavares' spot? Um I know Kerfoot's name's being thrown around, maybe even Felino to the middle, and then Galchenyuk, Brooks, Engvall. Well, I, I assumed it would be I assumed it would be Engvall simply because you take out a center and put in a center. Um, so I was assuming Engvall or Brooks, but I I wonder you need a spark, right? And I you know no player is going to be more motivated than Galchenyuk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, do, do you, like, I, like I'm looking at, you You need some positive emotion. You've just had the energy kind of sucked out of your team for very legitimate reasons, unfortunately. Does Alex Galchenyuk going in there against his former team give you some positive energy and momentum that you can use? And if I think that, you're right, you could put Felino in the middle, you could, you could put someone else there. I wonder... To me, the, the, my head says it's a center. My heart says 
you see if Galchenyuk can jumpstart you a bit. Yeah, Galchenyuk was he was in the starting lineup for me for game one, um, and I don't even know who you take out yesterday, but I think he's got to be in your lineup. Um, what uh, and the other? I mean, Sandine last night. I, I don't think you can really blame him. Um, uh, well, they had a late on, power play, and he was off power play one. Yeah, no, I so know that. That. I, that tells you what they're thinking, right? Yeah, I I thought he could have done better on the by the second goal and then if Dermot's out there on on the Anderson goal does does that happen right I mean that's that's what you're asking yourself this morning you know like the thing the thing about the Maple Leafs is they they really pride themselves on being long-term thinkers right which is kind of the way I I prefer to see it you know they took Sandin out of the lineup because of uh salary cap rules but they basically told them you're going to be in there game one and, you know, what normally I, I say is that one game should not change everyone's mind on you. If you had a plan where you said this is a game one player for us and you took him out of the lineup and you still said that because he came out of the lineup, it wasn't his fault. Should you change it after one game? But, you know, you realize everything, Mike, that's on the line here. And one of my storylines coming into the series was, okay, we've got two teams here that have a lot of depth. They're both scratching NHL-level players at the start of the series. The coach who loses game one, how patient will they be? Now, the, Toronto lost game one in unique and unusual circumstances, um, so that kind of changes the equation a little bit. But I, uh, that's my question here. You had a plan with Sandine. He got his opportunity. I think if it was a regular season game, they might just throw him back in there and say, okay, let's see if you've learned your lessons. Let's work on this. But I don't know if you can be that patient for Toronto in, in game number two of this series. You know, you need a win. And I think this is going to be a very interesting question for Keith. You know, does he still have that patience? With Elliot Friedman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590. The fans, something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. I'm going to take the over on this, Elliot. You and Ziggy factor in as well. Over under four and a half, four and a half combined points for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl tonight as Ooh. the Oilers need a win at home against Winnipeg to avoid heading east down 2 nothing. Boy, that's a great one. Um, I'm going to say over tonight. I'm with Boy, you. Boy, I got to tell you. <laughs> gonna, the, this is combined. Hey, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, going, I'm going under. Go ahead. Ooh. All right. Oh, he's, Boy, a, he's gotta, a Jets guy. <laughs> well, you know what? They did a great job in game one. I loved Hellebuck's answer. We were great on the details. Yeah. Were the fans mad at us last night for that pregame trivia, for that pregame question? Will Carey Price get a shutout today? <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so we're over, over, you and me, and Ziggy's under. Four and a half combined McDavid. I'm not Dreisaitl saying, yeah, they'll keep, yeah they'll, I have a hard time believing they'll keep him off the board two in you a know, row. If, if, if Scott or I wins, uh, Ziggy, you can send us some veggie burgers or some yeah. ham <laughs> the, sad, like the sad part of it, Elliot, is you and I will both have forgotten by next Friday that we even made this bet. So, That's true. So, uh, listen, pal, thanks for doing this. Um, Strange, difficult, unique circumstances, yes. but uh, important topic to discuss. We appreciate you doing it. We'll chat next week. All right, guys. Chat next week. You bet. Elliot Friedman, Hockey Night in Canada.
the NHL on Sportsnet and 31 Thoughts, both the uh, blog and the podcast. Jim Ralph, one of the few people in the building last night, longtime Toronto Maple Leafs radio analyst, will join us to discuss John Tavares and where the Leafs go from here next. Here's Josh Anderson's trying to split the D. Scores. Anderson beats Campbell. And Montreal has struck first. Now Nylander to the line. Hall. Back to Riley. He shot. Traffic. Scores. Nylander's side of the net. And the game is tied. Drops through Thornton. Checked on the play. And turned back by Armia with speed. Paul Byron gets there. Down. Scores. What a brilliant goal by Paul Byron. Short but a face-off win by Deneau, and that's going to do it. And the Montreal Canadiens have taken first blood and win game one. In terms of his condition, he's, uh, he's, he's conscious and communicating well. He's, the tests that he's had so far have, have come back uh, clear. He's going to remain overnight in hospital uh, to undergo further tests. John Tavares is uh, top of mind as uh, we wish him well in his recovery from that devastating situation last night. And there were very few people, as we know, in the arena. No fans in the stands, uh, players, coaches, team personnel, and broadcasters. And so we turn to our good friend, one of the ones who was in the rink last night, longtime Toronto Maple Leafs radio analyst, uh, Jim Ralph, joins us on the program uh, Ralphie, you were booked. Uh, we figured it would be under different circumstances, either reacting to a, a win or a loss straight up. Uh, but we will talk about John, who is a, a good guy and, and beloved in this market, his hometown, obviously. Can you describe the atmosphere after the Perry knee to the back of John's head especially from the perspective of typically a situation like this would happen with 18,000 people in the arena. It, it must have added to the eeriness, if you will. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, when it first happened, it happened so fast. And that's where I know a lot of people want to vilify uh, Corey Perry for it. He does have a bit of a history, but it happened so fast. I don't, uh, in fact, I believe if he, if he tried to avoid the hit and brought a skate up at uh it's, it's hard to believe, but it could have been even worse. So, um, you know, we said on the broadcast when, you know, they were, were trying to help Tavares up and then get him on the stretcher that if there were 18,000 people in this building, it would be just as quiet as it is right now. And it was, uh, you know, it was that scary. We almost go back to the uh, the moment Brian Berard, um, you know, took a Marion Hosa stick to the face. And, and that's the first thing you're looking for was blood. You hope. Uh, not that that's uh, the, the final telltale sign, but you hope there wasn't a pool of blood starting somewhere, and, and you know that sickening feeling as well. But yeah, it was uh, it was numbing for sure. Yeah, it's a that's a tough one for the for the players to actually get into it. And we had Elliot on. We're just talking about how you know no one wants to see Foligno fight Perry after that, and I, I didn't even want to watch it either. But it almost gets guys back into the game. I don't know if you want had a comment on that. And I, I've been trying to explain that to Scotty, how I, I don't want to see any fighting after, but 
it was almost like it helped the get the guys get back into it. Yeah, I, I think it was more as like a character thing where it was. Um, uh, and, I, and Joe and I talked at the commercial break. I said, okay, if this happens last year, who steps up? Who's the guy mm-hmm. that's, that's going to drop the gloves? So I think that was, and you know, Montreal was pretty physical, you know, throughout the game as well. So I think it was an opportunity for a response. And uh, accidental or not, uh, you do give Corey Perry some some credit for, you know, he could have just said, hey, it's an accident and I've got nothing to defend myself for. But uh, you give Corey Perry a little bit of credit for, uh, you know, taking his licks. I, I thought Flino got the better of him, and, and then you play on, like uh, Flino said afterwards. He said, uh, we did it, that's done. Uh, you know, let's get on with the game now. With Jim Ralph on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Ziggy and I both agree that Galchenyuk is likely to and should draw in now that there's an availability up front. Do you agree with that, number one? And number two, who moves into the middle on that second line? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you... I still think you you prefer Nylander on the wing, uh, you know, even though he's a natural centerman. But it's... Uh, you know, I, I, I can't see Pierre Engvall coming in. I think it's uh, Galchenyuk. It, it's going to be interesting. I wish I, wish I had the brilliance to say... Uh, you know, and then Kelchenja can play the middle as well. So I don't know if if, if that becomes an option. But does uh, Felino slide over, or is that that seems unreasonable? Top six. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean they they had so many line combinations after losing Tavares that it was really hard to get a read other than you know keeping the Matthews line together. Um, you know, most of the other names went into a blender, but yeah, I, I think it's Kelchenja gets in and. Or, you know, maybe uh, you move Kerfoot up. I don't know. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, if you want to have a natural sentiment there. Yeah, I don't even mind the three of them. To, I, I, yeah, I didn't really like it earlier. I was trying to think of who would slot in after, you know, the game yesterday and this morning. But, yeah, Galchenyuk can play the middle. Nylander's a natural sentiment. And Felino can play. I, I don't mind when it's three guys that are have been playing wing for most of the year that play together. If they all have a little bit of center experience, I I, I think that's fine. Um, what are your thoughts on on Campbell and Net, both the goals and and the performance from Carey Price? Well, yeah, Carey Price was great, and the uh, well, I mean Montreal had had better point blank chances, and uh, you know I think what the, the Leafs ended up with 37, 36, 37 shots, mm-hmm. um, but the way I saw it, I think Montreal was two for four on breakaways. And I think from a Leaf standpoint, that's that's a concerning thing. Is the um, uh, the majority of Montreal chances were just huge giveaways or turnovers or missed assignments from a Toronto standpoint. Uh, I, I thought second period uh, there was about a 15 minute stretch. I think they held Montreal to two shots, and you thought this is the way you've got to do it. And you know, all of a sudden, shorthanded goal in the third period sinks you. But uh, those things are correctable, and, and you know, just hopefully that uh, they get back to that mentality that if you've got the puck in your own end, uh, ice it before trying to keep turning it back and, and finding yourself in trouble. Because uh, the Montreal forecheck, I don't know if they're going to be able to have that kind of energy every game, uh, but, but the Leafs just kind of buried themselves in their own end a number of times because they wanted to do 20 feet back instead of 10 feet forward. With Jim Ralph. Um... Put on the coach's hat here for a second. You said you wish you no. had the brilliance to determine who's going to be the second line center tomorrow night. Well, now I'm coming at you with this. 
How do you fix the power play? Uh, first of all, Scotty, uh, I'm not any smarter than I was earlier in the interview. Do I? Do I? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think a guy with a quick wit might say I'd put myself in net for the other team. I mean, I think, I think we could start there, Ralphie, couldn't we? No? And, I, and you know what? I'd do it for half of what Carey Price Yes. <laughs> Five million a year doesn't hurt. Yeah. You know, the, uh, I, I thought the first power play was probably the best. Uh, I like Matthews. The, the one thing that the Leafs don't have, again, you know, you watch the other playoff games going on. Uh, you know, other than, than Matthews at times, at least, you know, I'm, I like the fact they had him on the right side, you know, the left-handed shot. They they do not have the one-timer. You know, whether it's so bad, I mean, Tampa's got, uh, well, they got Kucherov one side, Stamkos on the other. You've got Point in the middle. You've got Hedman at the blue line. You know, you've got everybody that... Uh, you've got to respect everybody's one time on the shot. And, and that's one thing the Leafs don't have. And it seems like once the rest of the league figured out, uh, as Pat Quinn used to say, that they try to pass the puck into the net on the power play, um, people are simply just staying in the lanes because there's mm-hmm. there's no threat of that big, you know, Ovechkin blast from the, the circle that you have to respect. But I thought at least the first power play, they got a lot more to the net. Matthews hit the crossbar. That goes in. Maybe the the game takes on a different uh, a different twist. But I, I just like the the shoot first mentality. You know, don't don't make fifteen passes to get it back to where it started. Yeah, and you you get in these ruts. I find, and whether as a player, or, uh, I'm coaching a little bit at UFT and getting to see a different side of special teams. It's like you get in these ruts and. You almost, when you have, especially if you have a skilled in the firepower Leafs have, it's like you don't want to give the puck away or put something on net where you know it's not a high percentage chance of going in. And it's like once they enter that mode, they have no chance out there. And it's like a cycle. But like you said, that first power play, it's a little bit more carefree. Let's get the puck on net. Let's move it around and get something to the net. And as soon as that doesn't go in, it's like this vicious cycle where I, I don't even know what the answer. I know they took. Sandine off it. I don't. You think something will change there? If obviously they they weren't happy with the power play him up top or that second goal. Yeah, and you know what? I thought Morgan Riley had a great night. Yeah, he so was I, good. I, I'm, One of the best. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, slide back from the power play. I mean, and that's what happens as well. You get guys that start to get nervous. And uh, uh, all I know is about Sandine after the turnover. It, it looked like he was completely out of gas. You know, yeah, that, um, yeah. like you, you thought at first he's going to get back in time, but um, you know, as it turned out, it looked like he was in quicksand trying to turn and get back. So, yet um, we we knew going in, especially teams are going to be huge. I'm not so sure we picked a shorthanded goal though to be a difference in game one. Man, Carey Price can flip a switch, huh? <laughs> yeah, but, he, but like I said, they, they there wasn't a whole lot where guys were wide open with great looks. You know, the uh, Montreal did a great job of clogging up the middle in front of them. And uh, I thought Price's best save might have been on a deflection by Matthews in the third period. Where yeah, point shot and, and, uh, and from a goaltender standpoint, if he's deep in the net, uh, I think that goes in. But as soon as the puck went to the point, you'd see him come out to challenge and, and took the angle away for the deflection. So... He was good, but I think the the least can force him to be better. But even even the two on one in the third period, where you've got Nylander 
typically a shot first guy. Not that he can't be a playmaker, but you got to honor the possibility he's going to shoot on the two-on-one, dishing to the traditional playmaker in Marner and and Price coming across and making the save. Ziggy says it's one of the saves of the year for him. I And I think that that's part of the factor into, into, into saying that is you got to honor Nylander's shot until the last second and then to get across and make that save. That was well, huge. Yeah, especially when you got a push to your right that almost immediately uh, pushed back and extended the left. At, at first, it was hard to tell whether it had gone off the crossbar or, or you know, it was fired over top of the net. But um, yeah, the belief that is he got a piece of it. It was uh, it was a game saver. That's where you circle it and say that's uh, those are the saves you needed a one goal game to win it, and that's not taking anything away. You know, the two breakaways that uh, Montreal scored on. All right, one being you're uh, cooling your heels, you're just fine. Ten being. Uh, you're totally panicked. And based on your tone of voice this morning, Ralphie, there's no way you're a 10. Uh, where are you right now with the Leafs situation? Uh, They're down a game. Are you, are huh? you talking look, looks or panic? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I'm trying to come up with a response. I, maybe never been a 10 in your life. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, how, how, where are you on this thing, though? I mean, they got to bounce back tomorrow night. You don't want to go to uh, the Bell Center down two nil. No, and it, you know, even minus the virus. I think you know, look at what Tampa did last year without Stephen Stamkos, hmm. and uh, you know, there's there's still enough like like Tampa last year. There's still enough in that lineup. Um, you know they, that you should be able to get it done. Nobody goes on any kind of playoff run without facing adversity at some point, and. You know, a lot of people <laughs> may have thought that uh, this was this was going to be a breeze to, for the Leafs to get through. But, um, but no, I don't think there's any panic yet. I think you know the, the biggest mistake you make is uh, if you're a player is being like a fan where you take too much into each game and you're not prepared for the roller coaster. So no, I don't think there's any panic yet. Even if they lose a close one in game two, I'm not convinced the series is over. We'll leave it there. Thanks, Ralphie. Good to hear your voice. Uh, we'll bug you next week or very, very soon again. Yeah, early afternoons are probably better for me, Scott. Abso- absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we'll 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 just call it, we'll we'll call it six fifteen, and you can assume it's dinner hour until your phone rings at six fourteen in the morning to start the guest hit. There you go. We'll pre-tape. Yes, yes, we will. <laughs> It'll be in the can. It'll be in the can. Uh, there he is, uh, Jim Ralph, longtime Toronto Maple Leafs radio analyst. Um, prediction here, Ziggy, for for yeah. tomorrow night before before we get out of here. We are we are on the air six o'clock Monday morning. We're, we've got a long weekend here, but of course, mm. uh, we'll be reacting to tomorrow night's game, and we'll be looking ahead to Game Three in Montreal, which will be played on on Monday night. I think we're going. Uh, to La Belle Provence, tied at a game apiece. Yeah, I'm. That's the best case scenario. Like I'm, I'm with Ralphie as well. If the Leafs lose again and fall down two nothing, I think the odds are severely against you when you lose the first two. It doesn't matter where they are. Um, but I'm still not going to be too concerned. Um, I don't. Th- I don't think the series is over. Like if the Leafs went up two nothing, I would tell you the series is over. Uh, it's up in the air. I'm. I'm curious to see. I want Gelchenik in the lineup. I want him to start yesterday, but it looks like he'll come in now unless they want to go a different direction up the middle. But same performance out of Campbell, 
and just I don't want the power play to affect the momentum of the game. And I know last night was uh, crazy what happened in the first couple minutes, but just let's get some confidence going out of it. Lots of pucks to the net, lots of shots and and go from there. Don't worry about putting a puck in. Don't worry about scoring. And I think I find that to be successful with units that struggle. Don't make it about how many goals you get or how it's a big time of a game. Let's just go out there and create some momentum, get some touches for the guys and and feel positive coming out of it. It's a long weekend. It's going to be hot. The stay at home order is being lifted ever so slightly. And we got a hockey game tomorrow night that the Leafs need to win. We'll break it all down at six o'clock Monday morning. Happy two, four weekend. Good shows next. You're ridiculous. Beat it.